Warning, the following podcast features views and opinions that are not representative of the collective views of the Whispers groups. Some of these views may not be suitable for children. Accordingly, the producers and hosts of the Missy AE podcast must insist that no one attempt to take anything that is being said as representative of the views of any of the Whispers groups. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Missy AE podcast. Tonight, we bring to you Sports Whispers Weekly. We will talk nothing but sports for the next three hours. That is, if Blog Talk Radio uh, cooperates tonight. Uh, and hopefully you guys can hear me because apparently my voice completely, uh, for, for anybody who was listening to last night's show, apparently uh, people couldn't hear me in the third hour. So what? hopefully you guys can hear me. Hopefully you guys can hear me right now. Uh, I have Lou and Kyle on the line with me. And if you guys want to call in, Talk some sports, you can call in at 657-383-1308. Once again, we will be live on the air for the next two hours uh, before we go into the hour after show, which hopefully uh, there will be no problems tonight. Uh, we have a lot to get to. We have, we have uh, the NBA Finals with the Phoenix Suns up two games to none over the Milwaukee Bucks to talk about. We got the Stanley Cup Finals. With uh, Tampa Bay, honestly, it should have been a sweep, but apparently uh, Tampa Bay wanted to win it back in Tampa, so they, <laughs> they decided to extend it to a fifth game. Uh, you believe that? We also have – I know, it's it's completely unreal. It's Yeah. Although it's, I, I, I guess you could – I guess it kind of makes sense because you want to have a Stanley Cup – when in front of a lot of fans instead of what the minuscule 5,000 fans or something that they were allowing at the Bell Center. I think it may have been less, actually. I think it was less than 5,000 fans. Uh, We also have the the big UFC fight to talk about tonight, Conor McGregor against Dustin Poirier for the the third time. Uh, And there's also, I believe, if I can – double check here real quick. I believe there is an intriguing uh, co-main event tonight as well uh, with Gilbert Burns taking on uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, as well as a heavyweight clash between Tai Tuivasa and uh, former Dallas Cowboy Greg Hardy, who now has been in mixed martial arts for the past, for the past couple of years. Uh, but you know what? Let's get let's get started. Uh, uh, first off, Kyle, you know it's been quite a long time since you've called in. Uh, you know we were ta- we were talking earlier, and I know you have quite a quite a bit uh, quite a, quite a bit of thoughts about uh, about tonight's big fight. Yeah, I, I definitely do. Uh, thanks for having me on. Like I said, uh, sorry about the little hiatus. I I was actually in the process of moving to Dallas and all that fun stuff. But I'm glad to be back and talking sports and kind of uh, taking my mind off some, some things, you know? So yeah, thanks for having me on tonight. And uh, yeah, tonight's going to definitely bring some fireworks. Um, you know, you and I were kind of like you just said, you and I were just, we're talking a couple hours ago about just some side notes. Um, you know, is Connor, is Connor's head in the game? You know, there's a lot of questions tonight. And uh, so, yeah, it should be interesting and definitely a, a card that is uh, definitely um, 
I'm looking forward to. You know, it's definitely something I'm going to stay up late to watch for sure. <clears throat> yeah, we've already seen uh, one specific fight uh, that is sure to draw quite a bit of headlines uh, with Jennifer Maya and Jessica I competing in quite the grueling bloodbath between the two of them, uh, mainly mm. specifically on Jessica I with a, uh, a huge cut opened up on her, uh, on her forehead due to a uh, accidental headbutt uh, between right. the two when both, mm. uh, both were, if I recall correctly, both <clears throat> of them were exchanging, uh, were going in for a punch at the same time and ultimately ended up colliding heads and somehow Maya, Maya, Maya's head must be a, a complete razor blade or something because <laughs> she was she was unaffected and Jessica I basically yeah but that was a pretty good that was a pretty good fight uh, Brad Tavares getting back on the winning track uh, with a win over Omari Akhmedov. Uh, we've had a couple of quick knockouts, too, uh, with Ilya Topuria knocking out Ryan Hall, Ryan Hall's second career loss, first one by knockout, uh, and also a knockout by Dreek. I'm not even sure I can pronounce this right. Dreek. Yeah, Dupree. Du- is it, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Yeah, over over Trevin Giles and Giles, I I still remember seeing uh, seeing the replay. He just he got caught at the wrong at the wrong time. I I don't know if he leaned into it or something, but uh, Duplessis knew exactly where to exactly uh, where to hit it for the uh, to completely stun Giles, and that. The fight was pretty much a wrap right then and there. Uh, but, right. Uh, let me let me ask you this, Lou. Um, you yeah. know, uh, Kyle brought up Kyle brought up the point: is Conor McGregor's head in the game? Because during the or in uh, in the in the lead up to the second fight between the two, which was Conor McGregor's last fight. Apparently, there was, uh, he, I guess McGregor mentioned that he had already been game planning to fight Manny Pacquiao. He was going to return to boxing right, and, uh, and fight Manny Pacquiao. And he attributed part of the reason for the loss was because he was mainly focused on Pacquiao and not really 100% focused on his, training, on his MMA training camp. Right, of and course. now supposedly he is fully back. You know, he's fully a hundred percent prepared for tonight's fight. Uh, honestly, the, you know, the big problem about his last fight was the fact that he he refused to check any of Dustin Poirier's leg kicks that he threw, and that's a, uh-huh. you know, that's a huge reason. That's a huge reason why uh, Connor was basic. It was basically open season on Connor McGregor because yes, he the the lack of movement due to the leg kicks basically left him wide open. So, I guess I guess what I'm asking is, do you think that Connor uh, maybe we'll see the old Connor McGregor tonight? Is his head uh, going I to be fully it. in the game? 
I don't know. The way he's been going and he's been, you know, he's getting up there now. I don't know. I don't think we'll ever see the return of the old Conor McGregor. I think, you know, he's he's seen better days. I think we've seen, you know, the last of him as a dominant fighter. And, Kyle, I believe you said wasn't he – uh, or, or wasn't he being taunted or something by Jake Paul about uh, yeah, so, being offered? Yeah, can you, so can you shine Paul, some light on that? Uh, uh, yeah, so essentially Jake Paul called him out. Like he said, I can give you um, $50 million for a fight, but he said you basically have to get through Dustin Poirier first. And um, so back in 2000, I think 18 or 20, so either three or last year, he said to Michelle Tafoya that he'll be the richest man in sports. Guess what happened this year? He's the richest man in sports. You know, um, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi are right behind him with $150 million. And uh, Conor McGregor has 180 So if you add another $50 million on top of 180 that brings your total to 230 So he's literally going to have yep. 100 million more dollars than the next two closest people. I just think, like Lou said, he's getting up there in age. He really wants to support his family. And with that kind of kind of money, we all know what you can do with that kind of money. Your family, your family, yeah. your family, your next pretty much four oh, or five Kyle, don't take my word for it. But, you know, I just buy <laughs> Don't take my word for it. I could be wrong. Right. No, no, you're absolutely right, though. I mean, think about it. He's getting up there in age. You know, right. we, um... And I, I think you're right. I think he's lost a step or two. And, and like mm-hmm. uh, Steve said, okay. he didn't check his, his leg kicks. And I was watching, like, an insider with Daniel Cormier, and he said he was checking his leg kicks, but they were just so effective that you can't do anything about it. Like DC said, you can check a million times, but guess what? Those shots are still hitting. Cool. You can check. You can lean into it. You can lean back, whatever you want to do you're still getting hit from someone, a grown man kicking you in the shin, the the calf, the, the knee. Hurt. Those are, are going to hurt. Yeah. You know? Eventually, those are going to hurt. You know, it's kind of like your jab. A boxer sets up with his jab. Then he comes in with his combos, his one-twos, his, his hooks. But everything sets up with a jab, correct? So, essentially, that's yes. a UFC fighter's jab. A leg kick is a jab, you know, you're checking it, but it's still going to cause you pain. So I honestly think tonight, I, I think Dustin Poirier is just going to leg kick him to death again, you know, and eventually his leg is going to give out. It's going to buckle again. And then Dustin's going to go in for his kill. Now, do you think that maybe perhaps it, it seems like Poirier has been a little, bothered i guess you could say by the fact that you know we're still they're still having to go through with this and have the trilogy fight and everything it kind of makes you wonder if poye is actually going to make a statement tonight maybe perhaps he won't go for the leg kicks and maybe he'll try to flat out flat out knock out conor mcgregor entirely on his you know without using the leg kick strategy and right. honestly, you know, I mean, granted, he definitely has the knockout power to do so, but I honestly right. feel that, you know, it could it could lead to potential reckless decisions by Poirier, right. because yeah, 
we know the kind of we know if if McGregor is able to show any of the old Conor McGregor, we know the type of striker he is. Right. And I mean, hell, before before the uh, the second fight with with Poirier, he knocked out Donald Cerrone in forty seconds. Right. And Cerrone yeah. is one of and Cerrone's. Pro- Cerrone's probably one of the toughest fighters at welterweight to knock out because of how because of uh, how big of a chin he has, and yeah. the fact that he was able to knock out uh, Cerrone in literally forty seconds, it reminded me of the old Conor McGregor who would basically who was basically very precise with pretty much all of his strikes that he would throw, and. Yeah. It you know from from uh, my talk with you earlier, I said that it's not, it seemed like Connor getting thrashed around by Habib Nurmagomedov, you know, basically resulted in him kind of lo- I don't know if I would say losing interest, but it it was almost as if you know he was he he ended up moving back up to welterweight. And it right. seemed, and it seemed like it seemed like he was basically ducking Habib. And now that Habib is gone, you know, now that he's retired, it kind of makes me wonder if maybe perhaps we could potentially see a return to lightweight, depending on how this, uh, on how depending on how this fight goes, if Connor ends up uh, ends up deciding to continue to fight. Yeah, there, there's definitely, a, like, a lot of questions, you know, um, with Connor, and even for Dustin, you know, it, it's a big fight for him, you know, like like you said, it's going to be a statement, you know, maybe he, you know, you don't know, you, you don't know his mindset, you know, like, I think you, you brought up a good point, you know, maybe he is looking for that statement knockout, you know, kill of Connor, and maybe that will get in the way of, why don't you go to what, you know, the old saying in football, you know, if it broke, don't fix it. You know, if you, if you're playing a four, three defense and you led the league and takeaways and all that, and then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, we want to switch up to a three, four because, you know, we just drafted a really good linebacker. It's like, if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of thing. So maybe, maybe Dustin's going to sit there and be like, all right, cool. Like I killed him less. uh, And the bout number two, with my leg kicks, why don't I just go back to that? But you never know. You never know the the person's mindset. Like like you said, I think that's a really good point that you brought up. You know, saying, "Hey, like I'm looking to kill this person," pretty much. Essentially, that's like maybe that's in the mind of Dustin tonight. Maybe he's like, "I'm sick and tired of this school. I want kind of more respect on my name. I want to defeat Connor twice." You know, so you never know, and you know, only time will tell. And um, kind of what happened from there. But I, I honestly think uh, Connor's just more made, more mo- motivated about money. Like, and once you get to that point, it's a, it's a bad thing. Unless you're Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather is the only exception to once you think about money, it's bad. Because we, we know how great Floyd is. Floyd is yeah. arguably the best fighter of all time, you know. And he's always been about money. Yeah. But, once once you get that into your career, it's 
kind of like a death trap because you're just counting your hundred your hundred dollar bills that you can wipe your butt with tonight, you know. So that's yeah. that's my biggest thing for Connor is if he's if he's too worried about his paycheck that he's gonna get from this fight, he's gonna get rocked. He's going to not check his leg kicks and he's gonna get rocked. But if if it's the old Connor, then we're in for an amazing fight tonight that's gonna go probably five rounds. Yeah, and uh, speaking of money, just to, uh, just to give an, uh, a bit of an update here in terms of how much money could, potenti- could potentially be made tonight. Obviously, both fighters, you know, they're going to get money based off of the pay-per-view buys, uh, based off of where they're ranked. And honestly, because Connor is such a huge name, he's probably going to get more than what he should, uh, considering... Yes. You know, it, depending on depending on where depending on where a fighter is ranked, it's gonna uh, with their with their system that they use. Where your ranking is basically determines what you get for uh, for you know show money and uh, and and a win bonus. Uh, but apparently, the bonuses for for uh, performance of the night have been increased for tonight from fifty thousand to seventy five thousand dollars for tonight's fight. So okay. it's entirely possible that we could see uh, both uh, both Connor and Poye be uncharacter. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say uncharacteristically because it's not really. I would say, I, I would say we could potentially see Connor be uncharacteristically aggressive tonight, especially if he wants to get, uh, if he wants to get one of those uh, performance bonuses. Potentially. Right. Uh, now, Lou, you know we've seen we've seen tri- with this being a trilogy fight, we've seen trilogy fights uh, in many sports. You know, bo- in, in both yes. boxing and mixed martial arts. Uh, I mean, hell, ju- just uh, just looking at mixed martial arts in general, I I remember some uh, some amazing trilogies that the UFC has had so right. far, you know, Stipe, Stipe and Cormier, BJ Penn and Matt Hughes, mm-hmm. George St. Pierre and Matt Hughes, Liddell Ortiz, Liddell Couture, uh, you know, there's uh, Ortiz and Shamrock. There's, there's a whole bunch of, uh, a whole bunch of trilogies that, right. uh, that I could name off here. Uh, with, with yes. the, uh, the comment that was made earlier, do you think that this could be what we call a statement fight where, okay, there, you know, there'll be no need for a rematch after this, especially if, if both fighters want to end this decisively, do you think we're going to see a decision or do you think it's definitely going to be a stoppage? I think we'll see a decision here. You know, this and this, you know, I think is going to decide everything. So, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. So a, deci- a, a, a decision, as in, you know, this will be the decisive, uh, the decisive yes. fight, to where there will be no need for a fourth fight between these two. Uh, Absolutely not. No need know, for a fourth I, fight. Absolutely not. I think. I think there. I think it will be a stoppage. I. I literally with, with the with the uh, fight bonuses increasing up to $75,000, I think it's going to be a lot more uh, yeah. a lot more enticing for both fighters to try and end it and maybe potentially end it early. 
Uh, one thing I would say is, I'm, I mean, yeah, uh, Connor got knocked out by Poirier the first time. I would not rule out Poirier potentially taking Connor to the ground and submitting him because he has he has submitted multiple fighters in the past, and Connor is very susceptible when he gets to the ground. Just ask Nate Diaz. Yes, yes. So, you know, I would not be shocked at all uh, if this fight tonight potentially ends early because of how I shouldn't. I shouldn't even say uncharacteristically aggressive because Poirier, ever since, uh, ever since he's basically had this uh, career resurgence, he's all, in his last seven fights. He's only lost once, and that was uh, to Nurmagomedov, Madoff, who at the time was the champion. Anyways, uh, you know, actually, no. You could say within the last. Wait, three, seven, eight. In the last nine fights, uh, Dustin has only lost once, and he had one no contest due to a uh, due to an accidental knee. Other than that, he has yeah. had one, two, three. He's had four stoppages in his last nine fights. With the only decisions coming from a war against Max Holloway and a war, uh, actually, no, I wouldn't call it a war against Jim Miller. It was pretty one-sided for, uh, for the Jim Miller fight. But uh, one thing that Poirier is definitely known for is the performance, the performance of the night bonuses. So I think he is definitely going to be gunning for it tonight. Yeah. Uh, now, Kyle, you know, you mentioned uh, Floyd Mayweather, and it's funny you bring that up because I want to get your thoughts on Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather in what some people are calling a black eye on the sport of, bo- on, on the sport of boxing that already has so many black eyes. But yet... Right. There are right. some boxers. There are some boxers that are calling the Paul brothers good for the sport. And honestly, I yeah. I just yeah. can't really see why because it seems like uh, as Lou and I have called it in past uh, in a past farce. podcasts, we've called them you know, yeah a farce, but also uh, freak show fights basically. Like yeah. Yeah. Jake Paul. Jake Paul, he's he's fought okay. He fought Ben Askren, and I still call it a bullshit decision uh, that uh, Askren Askren supposedly wasn't able to uh, to continue the fight, even though it was clearly obvious that he took a dive. Um, right. But other than Askren, and now he's set to fight Tyrone Woodley, I think in August. Uh, he yep. hasn't really fought. He hasn't really fought a fighter. Right. I mean, I'll give you know, I'll give Logan Paul credit. He at least stepped in there with uh, with Floyd Mayweather, and you know, granted it was exhibition, so it doesn't really count right. against the record. But uh, it, it you know, it it just seems like the Paul brothers are. Basically, they're just to make just to just to make money. You know, they're it's not really the love of the sport, and 
Honestly, Floyd even said it himself. He basically called it uh, the easiest robbery that he's ever done, meaning robbery of people's money. Right. So, so what are, what are your thing, thoughts? What are your thoughts on the Paul brothers uh, joining right. the sport of boxing? So here's the thing: is like, to be honest, I'm I've never been a big boxing guy, so I I can't really tell you boxers besides like the big names. You know, Mike Tyson, Muhammad Ali, you know, the great. So here's the thing. It's like your sport is all about popularity, right? You know UFC Mm -hmm. fighters. You know John Jones. You know Daniel Cormier. You know Kamar Usman. You know Cody Garbrandt. You know Paige Van Zandt. You know Austin Van Zandt. You know – so my point right there is you want to bring sports. You want to bring popularity to your sport. And I think the Paul brothers are doing – great at that one aspect they're bringing people attention they're bringing people think about it the paul brothers have been around for years because of youtube so they're sucking in all those youtube people who are like oh i love the paul brothers because they're so for the popularity of the sport i think it's amazing i think it's amazing what they're doing they're the biggest trash talkers and look, look at the the money where's the money at in boxing floyd mayweather has the most money in boxing correct Who's the biggest crap talker right, yeah. in boxing? Floyd Mayweather, Mayweather. So perfect. It's perfect. How did a UFC get so big? You get somebody like John Jones who literally can just take any drugs he wants and fight whenever he wants. And Daniel White loves him. Conor McGregor talks the biggest shit, gets what he wants. So perfect. Yeah. It's perfect for boxing. It's perfect to bring in this young crowd of people who think boxing is dead. The Paul brothers are like, no, it's not dead. We can fight me. I don't care if I get knocked out. I'm going to get $40 million. He has to get my bell rung. Are you telling me you wouldn't step in a ring for $40 million to get your bell rung? Because I, I would. I, I mean, would I, get I, my I, bell I rung would. any day. I mean, I would. You know what I mean? One thing, it, I, I would, but it's one thing, you know, to it's, – it's one thing to step into – a boxing ring and, you know, box against actual boxers. Right. Uh, and I mean, when I say, when I say actual boxers, I mean, boxers that actually have a record, you know, like whether it's one and O or two and O or something like that, right. it doesn't have to be, you know, Floyd Mayweather, but then you have Jake Paul facing off against Nate Robinson, who looked like, uh, you know, the former NBA star, who had right. no boxing experience whatsoever. It, it it was basically a comedy hour show where yes. Robinson Robinson then became the uh the face of many memes to be made of him uh laying uh, motionless on the on the uh on the boxing mat. And uh, at some point you would think that if the Paul brothers are serious about boxing that they would have to face actual boxers like what regardless of there if it's thought you know if it's regardless of if it's you know like a uh, a boxer who's one and oh or a boxer who's two and oh you know right. face actual if you're really serious face actual boxers and not these scrubs like a like a fellow youtuber or um you know, uh, Ben Askren, who is a MMA star, but can't strike worth a shit. Right. Yeah, so so overall, I think 
the Paul brothers are doing good for boxing. But like you said, yes, until he fights somebody like Billy Bob Sawyer, who has a record of 3-0 in boxing, then it's, it's useless. But for popularity and for name-wise, he's doing amazing. And for branding-wise, like, wise, he's doing amazing. Like I said, like, you, you know, Dana White, you know, uh, got the UFC started by, like, adding people, you know, and then he just made a name for himself. So once you get a name and once the name of, like, boxing gets, you know, to its glory days again, then I, I think the Paul brothers are doing more good for the sport of boxing overall than they are harming it. It's like, yes, they, they're the Paul brothers. Until they fight somebody of actual credit, then it's, it's useless. But, again, flip side, it's, like you said, it's going to be exhibition fights. So even if, quote-unquote, Floyd lost, we'll say, in a crazy fantasy world, it would never go on his record because it's an exhibition fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. And there, would, know, and and there uh, would always be that stigma. There would, there would always be right. that stigma that – that Floyd was taking it easy on Logan and right. that, you know, because a lot of people were wondering why the hell did Floyd not, how the hell did he not knock out Logan Paul in that fight? Right. Because there, there were a few times where it looked like Floyd completely had him on the ropes. And I mean, hell Logan was basically gassing at the end of round one, like his mouth was wide open and everything completely gassed out at the end of round one in an eight-round fight. And basically the rest of the fight was nothing but hugs with occasional flailing right. of, the, of, uh, yeah. of the fist. And like, like I had mentioned as well, uh, Logan only landed like 10% of his shots. He threw like right. 200 punches and he threw 200 punches and landed at the most 20 compared yeah. to Floyd compared to Floyd who threw I think it was like 120 or something and he landed about 40 to 50 shots right which is close to 40%. So it, it I mean granted it didn't count against the record but you know I I think everybody was very disappointed at the fact that Floyd didn't knock out uh Logan Paul when he had so many opportunities yeah. to do so. But, so I got know, a question. I, you, I would give, okay. Do do you think it was more of Floyd putting on a show saying like, ha ha ha, I'm just going to taunt this kid for eight rounds. Right. You know what I mean? Just because he's like, hey, like I'm getting my money no matter what. Let's make this a quote unquote fight. You know, do, yeah. do you think Floyd in the back of his mind is like, hey, it's an exhibition fight, so even if I quote-unquote lose, it's not going on my record, I'm still getting my money, and let's give the fans kind of a, a show. So maybe I maybe it was in Floyd's like, head, like, hey, like, I'm going to give the people, quote, like a show. They want to see me box this kid, but let's, let's, get, let's get it, you know? Well, it's interesting because it says here that uh, uh, Floyd's, uh, Floyd's uncle, Jeff, believes that Floyd tried to knock out Logan, but the big problem is is that Logan is just so big. Like, right. Logan towered above him in terms of, uh, so in terms they, of height. If, and, and also, technically, he was fighting at, at a heavyweight, technically. Right. If that's the case, then 
then that kind of puts a weird, like, mark, at least in my eyes, to Floyd. Like, dude, you've been boxing since you're, like, five. And you let some scrub come into your house, your ring, and let you yeah, go you to the that. Right. And so, like, for me, if that's true, then that kind of leaves a weird mark in my eyes for Floyd. I'm like, dude, you couldn't handle a scrub? Like, you've been saying that you say you, you call him much worse than a scrub, and you couldn't knock him out. Then that doesn't look too good in, in your eyes, my dude. Like, maybe maybe you aren't the best fighter of all time. Maybe that title shouldn't be yours. Maybe that 50-0 mark doesn't mean anything, because you can knock out some dude off the street who has been on YouTube for 10 years. So, or, that's not a good look. <laughs> or it's entirely possible, like like you brought up uh, the point, is that, you know, it's not going against his record. And, right. you know, it's an exhibition fight. And like I said earlier, was that Floyd basically considered it, you know, a highway robbery, basically. That he was right. he was getting free money to basically box an easy fight. Right. So, yeah, I, you know, I, yeah. <laughs> I just, it, I mean, I'll give you another comparison. Uh, Anderson Silva, he fought uh, right. a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, he fought Julio, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., who is an active boxer. At the age right. of, I think he's thirty. I think he's thirty-seven now. He is an active boxer, and Anderson Silva beat him. You know, it's. I mean, granted, Anderson Silva's on a completely different level, but you know, it would be. I wouldn't mind if the Paul brothers mm-hmm. took on somebody like Anderson Silva, who you know entered that entered that fight with a one-in-one record. You know, right. at least fight somebody who has actually fought before. That's why I give Logan more credit than I give than I give Jake. Because, right. yeah, okay, Jake, Jake Paul may may have fought a former MMA fighter, but you know he's never fought anybody who's actually been in a boxing ring. Right. Logan can now say that he has because he's actually fought. Uh, you know, Floyd, he, he took Floyd Mayweather eight rounds. But anyways, uh, another thing you brought up to me earlier today was you wanted to talk about uh, the retirement of uh, of Coach K over at Duke after yeah. a, after a uh, very lackluster season this year. Now, my my understanding is that He's going to retire after this upcoming season. Correct. Okay. Yep. Uh, so, so, yep. His, so he's retiring after the twenty twenty one season. Correct. Yep. Yes. Okay. So his uh, his successor has already been named. Uh, yep. Now I don't know if maybe right. because it was it was maybe because it was because of COVID that Duke had a. Uh, a subpar season this year at 13 and 11, but the, you know, the fact that they didn't even make the, uh, the NCAA tournament, um, (laughs) you know, it's, do you think, do you think it was mainly because of COVID or do you think that, you know, they, maybe Duke has, uh, has sort of lost a little bit of its luster. 
Ah, that that's so tough. I mean, oh, the the last national championship Duke won was 2015. So okay. it's only yeah. been five, six years now. So that's not a long time. Um, it, it's so tough. You, the ACC is a, a dog fight. We, you go to the ACC if you're a top ten prospect in in basketball. You know you're gonna land up North Carolina because of the name. Um, you're gonna land at UVA. Tony Bennett's a very good coach. Um, so it, it's so it's so tough. And I, honestly, I I think it's more of Coach K saying, I have a great staff with John Shire. Nolan Smith is still there. And you have a couple of other assistants that I can't think of off the top of my head right now. Um, I I think that he said like, you know what, I'm not getting any younger. There's nothing really Coach K to accomplish. Coach K has a thousand plus wins, has gold medals with the USA team, five national championships. Like what? Like what else can you say he has to do? You know I. So it, it, it's tough, and especially me being a biased Duke fan. I, I want a national championship every year. But expectations, yeah. that's not going to happen. You know what I mean? That's not going to happen. With the yeah. one and done, with the D League now and overseas, that, that's not going to happen. So I, I think it's Coach K saying, hey, I have a great staff. I have a great young coach in John Shire who I trust. And, like I said, you have a great assistant in Nolan Smith. And the thing with Duke is if you want to be a Duke head coach, you have to head play under Coach K, you know. And so I I think bringing in somebody as, like, John Shire, he, he won a national title with Duke, I believe, if I remember correctly. And so yep. he can come in he did. with these guys and be like, hey, I played for Coach K. I reached the top of the pinnacle at college basketball. You know, I I know where you guys are at. You know, I'm gonna teach, I'm gonna train you guys as hard as Coach K. I'm not gonna be Coach K, so don't expect me to be Coach K. But trust and believe, we're still gonna have the same principles, the same values, the same core, and ultimately the same goal um, as Coach K. So I love I love naming John Chire as the coach. He's a young coach. He's very knowledgeable. He knows the game. And who else can you say has had a better job? than working for under Coach K, you know? Exactly. And, you know, another uh, another uh, assistant coach that has, uh, that has now joined his program is Emil Jefferson, who you may remember, three-time captain uh, for Duke basketball. And he, uh, he won a national title. He was on that 2015 national championship team. Uh, he has obviously his NBA career didn't really pan out. Uh, the last I saw of him, I think he was in the G league. So, uh, he has now rejoined Duke, uh, this time as an assistant. So, you know, that's going to be some, that's going to be somebody that, uh, once Shire officially takes over, uh, that he can, uh, that he can lean on. Right. So, uh, let me ask you. Let me ask you, Lou. Hang, hang on. Hang on a second. Uh, let let yeah. me ask you, Lou. Uh, the same. The same question. Do you think that Duke's struggles this year, Lou, were more COVID related, or do you think it's maybe perhaps, you know, 
Coach K was kind of winding down and, you know, Coach maybe K his message wasn't – and that his message wasn't getting through like it normally does. Exactly. I mean, you know, everybody's had through COVID, but, you know, Coach K now, you know, where he is in his point of his career and 80 years old and whatnot, I think he just lost his luster there and, you know, it showed with the team, you know, in the, in the season. So I was so I wasn't uh, too shocked by that at all. I mean, we all were affected by COVID, but this was more, you know, on the part of, of, of Coach K, you know, and the team. All right. So what what were you gonna, what were you going to say, Kyle? Uh, no, I, I was just going to say like adding Emil Jefferson is just it, it's beautiful. So now you have Emil Jefferson, who, like you said, has a national championship. You have known who has a national championship. You have John Shire, who won a national championship. And so I I, I think they're going to be fine. And, and honestly, um, I, I'm going to say this first. This is my first time saying it. It's just a hot take that I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to come true. Don't be shocked in the next two or three years. Guess who's going to come back? I, I have this weird gut feeling in, in my, my soul. Mr. J.J. Reddick is going to come back himself, and he's also going to join that name of great Duke players to assistant coach. I just have a weird feeling. I don't know. Something is telling me that, I don't know, I wouldn't be surprised if J.J. Reddick in the next couple of years says, hey, I did all I can in the NBA. Let me go back to Duke. Let me kind of go from there. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think the future looks really good for Duke basketball, like overall. Maybe it's just my bias, Duke coming through again, but um, yeah, I, I'm just really excited for Coach Shire to, to start next season, uh, yeah, next season, not this season coming up, but I still think Coach K is still going to be there, like, Coach K isn't, he's Duke, you know, if you think of Duke, you think of Coach K first, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Kind of like, you think of UNC, you think of MJ, and then you think of Roy Williams, and then you think of, you know, so I, I wouldn't be surprised, and, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm happy. Like I said, Coach K has nothing else to prove. You know, he's up there with Dean Smith as probably the greatest coach, and then um, that UCLA coach that I always forget. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, those, you know, so, yeah, I, I'm excited, and, you know, I'm, I'm happy for Coach K. He left on his terms. It wasn't like you got rid of him because his bad record last year. He left on his own terms, you know. Oh yeah, no, I wasn't saying I wasn't saying, you know, that Duke was uh that Duke was getting rid of him, you know. It's yeah. it's definitely uh it, it I would think with with the amount of uh with the amount of experience that Coach K has that it would be basically whenever Coach K it, it would be sort of like, you know, Red Auerbeck when he was uh right. when he was with the Celtics. You know, it would be up to Auerbeck whenever he would decide to step down. Right. You know, whether yeah. it whether it was in a front office role or whether it was in uh his role as a coach. You know, I would think I would think that Coach K, you know, has enough experience uh yeah. during his time with Duke that he would that they would give him uh, you know, the ball would basically be in his court whenever he decides yeah. to hang it up. That it would be, it would be basically what they call a lifetime contract. Yeah. 
sort of like what Roy yeah. Williams had with uh, North Carolina. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. For sure. But speaking, you know, speaking of basketball, uh, let's go over to the NBA Finals because we okay. have uh, you could you could kind of call this uh, the playoffs of the underdogs, I guess you could sort of say because yeah. it, it's, it's weird thing. Yeah, it's weird thing underdogs considering the fact that you know we're seeing a number two seed against a number three seed, but. When you take a look at all the teams that have been eliminated, and uh, minus the Celtics, of course, because well, actually, no, I guess you, maybe you could include the Celtics because they had uh, Jalen Brown injured. Uh, but you take right. a look at all of the uh, all of the injuries that have gone on this postseason, or the, yeah, this postseason uh, that teams have had to deal with, and. Phoenix, for the most part, uh, has been healthy, except for Dario Saric tearing his ACL in game one. You know, they've been relatively healthy for the most part, while Milwaukee uh, has to deal with the hyperextended knee of uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, which, I mean, let's be honest, in game two, he didn't seem really that hampered from it as he put up 41 points. So... Uh, you know, with with Milwaukee down two nothing to the uh, to the Suns, is there really any realistic chance that you know we could see a potential comeback from the Bucks in this series? Hell no. <laughs> you don't you don't think no. so? No, uh, Suns are too strong, and they were also my. Uh my surprise pick of the year. And, and the Suns are just, you know, just whipping the daylights out of uh, the Greek freaking company. I mean, Chris Paul is too, Chris Paul is too strong. He's waited 16 years for this and he, and he wants, he's hungry for it. More than any other player, well, I think, you know, on the lead in the finals, he wants it. Well, he's, uh, he's, he's two, he's two wins away from get from finally getting a ring. Uh, so, his, you know, his first trip to the finals, it's definitely uh, definitely something that he's going to go all in for. I mean, let me put it this way. If if you're having a player like McCall, McCall, McCall Bridges, I think is how you say it, Michael McCall Bridges. Uh, McCall Bridges, if he's yep. putting up, Yeah, if he's putting up 27 points against Phoenix or, or, or for Phoenix, uh, when when you already have Devin Booker and Chris Paul putting up twenty plus thirty plus, and hell, last night Deion or not last night it was two nights. When was when was game two? Was it Thursday? I think it was Thursday night. Yeah. Yeah. When My you opinion. have when you when this is a, when this is a night where you have uh, DeAndre Ayton only limited to ten points. And uh, Jay Crowder putting up a double double. And gr- granted, Aiton did as well. He had ten points, eleven rebounds. Uh, Crowder had eleven points, ten rebounds. But you know, when when you have Aiton limited like that uh, for in terms of uh, point production, and yet you're seeing other players like McCall Bridges step up like he did. 
And it, you know, it, it just kind of it kind of makes you wonder how the hell is Milwaukee going to going to keep pace with the Suns in the, in the remainder of this series when it seems like whenever you whenever uh, you neutralize a shooter or a certain player on the Suns, another player always no, ends I up, slip, uh, always ends I up stepping in. Okay, Lou. So, you know, why, uh, try to make sense of this, Kyle. Yeah, how could how can you know can we possibly see Milwaukee come back in this series, uh, especially considering how Phoenix has played so far? Uh I mean, you you can't count out a comeback. It, it's only 2-0. It's not like it's it's 3-0. Yes, it, it's a big hill to climb, but Milwaukee still is going to put up a fight. But I I think um, kind of like what Lou said, you know, Chris Paul's been waiting, you know, 16, 16 years. And, you know, we put so much emphasis on a ring and a title and a championship, but we also forget that there's great players in every single sport without a, a ring. But with that said, I don't think Milwaukee has the firepower to do it. Um, DeAndre Ayton's been playing really well. You know, Chris Ball's locked in. Um, you know, Devin Booker is, you know, a rising star, if not a superstar already. Um, so it, it's going to be tough for Milwaukee. I Honestly, I, I think Milwaukee might win a game. Um, but I, I honestly, I, I think... Phoenix is going to end it in five um, as much as I don't want it to happen. But, like, Giannis, last game, he put up 42 points. You know, Giannis is going to get his, but um, you just need, like, he put up more of a supporting cast, I guess. I mean, it's kind of hard when, like, Bobby Portis only put up two points. Jeff Teague only put up four points. Especially, especially how Bobby Port after how Bobby Portis played when he was replacing Giannis in the starting right. lineup when Giannis was out all those games, he helped lead that uh, that takeover against uh, against Atlanta. You know, right. he was monstrous in the first game that Giannis was out and did pretty well in the second game that Giannis was out, but when you know, when your lead scorer off of the bench is Pat Connaughton. Right. And and he was primarily their only scorer off the bench. I mean, yeah, they got four points from Teague, two from Portis, and Portis barely played, actually. He only played about four and a half minutes. And, right. you know, you got a three-pointer three from Bryn Forbes. That's a problem when you don't have the depth. I mean, you take a look at the Suns, uh, granted, the Suns, they only got two points from Cameron Payne, but I believe Payne is more of a playmaker anyways as opposed to an actual shooter. Uh, you know, Cameron Johnson was their lead scorer off the bench, and Torrey Craig had six points, but Craig apparently is injured. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say it, it's tough, you know, when uh, when uh, Phoenix has, like, a guy, guy like Crowder. He's been there before. He's been to, you know, the finals, and he's been 
been there before, so he's he been has to a the taste conference. of what it's like. He's been like. to the conference finals. I think he's been to gotcha. the conference finals, not the actual finals. Gotcha, gotcha. Ooh. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, Chris Paul is locked in, and, you know, Chris Paul, he, he'll probably go down as a top five point guard if he never won a ring, you know what I mean? But, like, adding a ring yeah. to it will probably push him up into the top five point guards of all time, you know? Um, yeah. It, it, and it's sad that, like I said earlier, we put way too much emphasis on rings, you know, way too much on either direction. Nobody says Bill Russell's the GOAT. I don't care if he has, 11, he has 11 rings. If that's the case, he's the GOAT. But nobody says he's the GOAT. I don't care if you play against two other teams. 11 rings is 11 rings. But we put way too much emphasis on it. Like, why don't we yeah. just sit back and enjoy, like, oh, wow, like, this person had a great career. You know, John Stockton is arguably the best point guard of all time. Guess how many rings he has? Zero. You know? None. Yeah. Because he, so he played primarily it, it, with uh, Utah, I believe, right? Yeah, he played with Carl Malone, and Carl Malone is a great power forward. Guess how many rings he has? None. You None. know, so it, it, it's, you, you know it, it's sad that we as sports fans put so much emphasis on it. Yes, it, it's the ultimate goal, but there also should be like, hey, like this person led the league in scoring 10 years in a row, and they were a great player overall. Like, but we, we as sports fans put way, 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 way too much emphasis on the ring. Yeah, um, you know one uh, one thing when it co- when it comes to uh, Bill Russell, you mentioned. I think the biggest thing is that you know when it when it com- when it comes to it, I think a, lo- a lot of the argument for greatest of all time has to do with the era that certain players played right. in. I mean, we've had this we've had this discussion before with uh with somebody who was called into the after show uh before. Um you know, it it, it really depends on the era that the player played in. Like, you know, Michael Jordan, he had a whole bunch of uh he had a whole bunch of uh, a, a whole bunch of stars with him, you know, Pippen and uh Rodman during a time right when during a time when the league was getting more athletic you know yeah. and you were seeing you were seeing shots get made that people were people would just look in amazement like how the hell is are these shots getting off but yet you compare it you compare it to the old to the old days where honestly it uh, it looked like it it looked like the the players from the old days were shooting like they were shooting in a uh uh what's it called like on a like on a basketball court in the park you know right. it wasn't like it, you weren't seeing any sort of finesse that you that you would see in in the 90s or today's game so i think you know, a lot of people say that the reason why, oh, even though Bill Russell has 11 rings, you know, he, if you were, if you were to put him in his, in his prime against players of today, you know, against somebody like LeBron James or 
uh, or, or, you know, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, you know, he may not near, he may not be nearly as good as he would be playing against people from his time. Right. So I think that's probably what the big argument is there. Right. No, I, I think you're definitely right. You know, the, the game, it's always evolving. You know, um, even every sport is always evolving. You know, uh, NFL, you have bigger, faster guys now than, you know, in the early 2000s and, you know, even the 90s. You know, it's always evolving, which is, which is a good thing. But, um, yeah, it, I don't know. To me, it's just sad that, you know, even even me as a, as a sports fan, you know, um, we just emphasize the ring and, so much, and I, I think we just need to kind of sometimes just take a step back and just appreciate, like, wow, this person is, you know, is amazing, you know, um, you know, Chris Paul. Oh, no, definitely. You know, um, so, it, yeah, it's something that I try to do more often, but always as a school fan, I'm always going to be like, well, you know, uh, Nick Foles gave me a ring, so... Uh, I'm always indebted to Nick Foles, you know, but that shouldn't be the case. I, I also should look at Dominic Nab and like, wow, he was at five straight NFC East championship games. You know, that's that's really impressive, you know. Um You know, I do I do even, think Donovan McNab I do think Donovan McNabb is one of those uh one of those players that should have gotten a championship. Right. You know, he's yeah. I think he. I think he's. De- he's definitely one of those players. I. I can't. I can't even compare him to Marino. It's unfair to compare him to. Uh, to somebody like Dan Marino, but you know, right. you see players. You see players that did have good careers, but they never got anything. And right. You know, you're sort of sit. Uh, you can basically see it here. Uh, you know, with with uh, somebody like Donovan McNabb, you know? So, yeah, I definitely, I definitely think that, um, you know, the, the one thing I'll say when it comes, when it comes to Chris Paul is you take a, you take a look at what he's done. The fact that he's a, that he comes in to Phoenix and, basically completely turns this franchise around you know they were they were basically on the bubble for the most part of you know just just barely making the playoffs or barely missing the playoffs you know they have all this young talent and then all of a sudden in comes Chris Paul and the fact that he's able to lead them to, if he's gonna, if he leads them to a, to a uh, an NBA title this uh, this year, I mean, it, yeah, yeah, he probably has a Hall of Fame career already. But honestly, if I'm if I'm looking at Chris Paul, I think it I think it's potentially Hall of Fame worthy. If you take if you take a team like the Suns with how they're set up and you bring them you bring them uh an NBA title I mean hell I don't see how he doesn't make the hall of fame right 
and I think it just shows that in the NBA, you, you need a guard. You need a point guard. It's, it's the floor general. It's the quarterback of the NBA. You know, if you take a look, you know, we're just going to say Phoenix won it this year. Phoenix, you're, you're going to have Chris Paul. Lakers, you had LeBron pretty much running the point. And, you know, I forgot who played the point last year for them off the top of my head. Then you had Steph Curry, Steph Curry, Steph Curry, uh, Kyrie. So it just shows that, like, it's definitely important to have a, a number one, like a, a true point guard, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think maybe the biggest uh, the biggest uh, thing that's keeping the Milwaukee Bucks from potentially coming back in this series is they have probably, and who knows, maybe Milwaukee does make a comeback and they do end up, right. uh, you know, getting back, at least getting back into it. I think one of the biggest things that they have going against them is they have a coach who literally is probably one of the worst coaches when it comes to adjustments. Right. With Mike Budenholzer. You know, we saw we saw it with Atlanta. There there was a reason why Al Horford left Atlanta. Yeah. You know, cuz there Budenholzer uh who was the co- he was the coach at the time uh when you know, when Al Horford was was thinking about leaving, you know, he it, 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 he's kind of like Doc Rivers. He's kind of like what Doc Rivers is now. You know, if you needed if you needed an adjustment to be made, he's not the guy to make it. Right. You, know, you would need somebody. You would need somebody like. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people shit on him all the time, but Tyron Lue. You know, a lot of people said yeah. that Tyron Lue, uh, that Tyron Lue uh, shouldn't really get credit as a coach for an NBA title when really it was the coach was really LeBron James all those years. But was he really? Because you take a look at, at uh, the comebacks that uh, the Clippers did twice, actually, I think this, uh, this postseason, And a big reason was because, was because of, of Tyron Lue with his adjustments. Right. So, yeah. you know, it's I just, that that's part of what makes me think that you know this this doesn't look like it's especially with uh, with uh, Antenna Kumpo not being 100%. I mean, yeah, he put up 42 points, but uh, who says that, you know, who, who, who says that he, that he's going to do that, who, that he's going to do it again, you know, that he's going to put up 42 points again. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't... It's definitely tough. <laughs> you know, I just, I just don't. I, I honestly, I think that it's that Phoenix is gonna, is gonna get a title, and it's, you know, it's very 
hard to believe that Phoenix is going to get one with Devin Booker, but yet they weren't able to get one with Steve Nash. All those. Yeah, years. and Amari Stoudemire. Yeah, and Amari Stoudemire. Yeah. Although I guess you could kind of say that Mike D'Antoni is maybe a little bit to blame for that because D'Antoni, uh, his coaching style is basically all about offense and literally no emphasis on defense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, have you, uh, have you paid attention? Did you pay attention at all? Are you, are you a, uh, a hockey fan? Uh, did you pay attention to the Stanley Cup finals? I did a little bit, but not too, too much. Um, just because of my transition down to Dallas, so I couldn't really, like, keep an eye on it. Uh, what did you think... Um, of the of the Tampa Bay Lightning basically taking only five games to win their second straight Stanley Cup title. Yeah, um, I so it, it's so weird. So that, any major sports is all about money. Like so, if they swept and went four games, the NHL would have lost money. So I'm. I'm not like a weird serious like conspiracy, but I definitely think that um you know, the NHL knows like, hey, like oh, Tampa might sweep. So maybe, you know, it it's so tough for like hockey. You know, it's not like we're like boxing where you can kinda throw scores or UFC you can kinda throw like, Oh, it's Conor McGregor tonight, so we might throw him a point just because it's McGregor, you know, so it's tough but I always, like, have a weird feeling, like, oh, like, I definitely think, you know, the NHL, NFL, NBA, they all have, like, their hands in it in some sort of way. You know, not taking any credit from Tampa Bay because, obviously, they were going to sweep and they could have swept, you know, but I don't know. I'm always so weird on that question. Yeah, and you know the weird the weird thing is is that Tampa they had a player uh Nikita Kucherov who was out for pretty much the entire season. Uh you know, it, it, this is this is weird because I I looked this up and apparently it is within the rules. Uh they allowed Kucherov to come in and play in the playoffs, not counting against the cap, even though, you know, he, his, him playing uh, and being included in the, on the roster would basically put them $17 million over the cap. <clears throat> and, yeah, it basically, it basically makes you wonder why, you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of unfair. It's almost like the NHL wanted Tampa to, you know, to uh, to to become uh, two-time Stanley Cup champions. Right. 
the fact yes. that they were able to that they were able they were able to provide that exception for Tampa yet you know they were able to uh yet they they if it was any other team they probably wouldn't allow it unless it, unless it was like like say Pittsburgh and Sidney Crosby or Alexander Ovechkin and Washington. Right. Like one of their big stars. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know what? So um, I, it just brought. Go ahead. Oh, uh, it just, uh, I, I don't know why I just thought of this um, thought about like Chris Paul and stuff. It just makes me wonder like that the NBA blocked his trade to LA. The Lakers, you remember that? Yeah, that's right. I for, I forgot what back when he was a uh, back when he was a Charlotte or not Charlotte a new a New Orleans Hornet, right? Yeah, so it it's just I don't even know how I remember it, but it's just funny how they blocked it, and now he's essentially two games away from winning an, uh, a championship. So I just think it's funny, and I I don't know why I remembered, but yeah, it, it's just. It's just funny how the league blocked it, and now he's. I, I'm honestly, I'm sure that plays a part of why he's so hungry for this championship. It's kind of like an fu to the league, like, oh, you blocked it, so I made my own path, and now I'm gonna do my own thing, and you know, so I, I'm excited for Chris Paul. I like Chris Paul a lot. I even liked him at Wake Forest, and that's that's a lot coming from a Duke fan. Yeah. Yeah, I just yeah, I, I, I think when it when it comes to when it comes to Chris Paul, you know, it it just seems like he's had so many opportunities with the talent that he that he's had around him. You know, when he was in LA, he had Blake Griffin back when Griffin gave a shit and he had uh uh DeAndre Jordan. You know, that was yep. that was seen by many as a big 3. Uh, that was very squa- that was squandered because of the fact that ever since Doc Rivers left Boston, he seems to have never been able to get anybody past the semifinals. So a lot of people yeah. are wondering if you know those were squandered years with an NBA Finals type roster, right? That they had. So now you bring in Chris Paul to this young Phoenix team and all of a sudden it's like, okay, you know, you finally, you finally uh, put me with a competent coach. And in this case uh, it was his former coach uh, because Monty Williams was his coach when he was with New Orleans. Right. You know, you put you put him with uh, you bring you reunite him with Monty Williams, and now all of a sudden, Paul is is completely shining. And if anything, I believe he's a free agent this year too, so he's going to get uh, a major cash in. Yeah, yeah, and he's. Head of the players union too, so yeah, 
yeah, it's it's really. I, I I just think I think it's it's so good for Paul the fact that he's finally he's he's finally getting his opportunity, uh, yeah. especially with especially with a coach that you know he that he had previously played under. Yeah, that's it. that's definitely good. I think I think uh, Monty Williams was like the best thing to happen for Chris Paul, just even at like the start of his career. And it just it, it, it's awesome to see like full circle, you know, the trust that they have in each other. It's really good to see. It's good for Chris Paul. It's good for Monte Williams. Now, I, uh, you know, one thing I want to get your thoughts on is we're going to switch over to football for a little bit here. Uh, okay. You know, one of the one of the things one of the things that has been a big story throughout this entire off season has been the saga involving Aaron Rodgers against the Green Bay Packers. And right. apparently he has this vendetta with the general manager of the Packers. And, you know, it, 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 he's basically refusing to play unless they get rid of their general manager, which apparently they have no uh, – it sounds like they they have no intention of switching general managers at any point in time. And he's basically saying, okay, if you're not going to do that, then, you know, I'm, I'm basically uh, pulling out. I'm not going to, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to play for you guys. If you guys aren't going to, uh, you know, if you guys aren't going to cater to me, which is, this is kind of how, Kind of the same way how Brett Favre ended up leaving Green Bay, right? So, do you think do you do you you see uh, or not see? But do you think that there's any reason why Rodgers should be acting this way, considering he is the franchise quarterback, he is the franchise player of the of the team, or do you think that maybe? Uh, Green Bay is in is in the right here, and that you know Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, while he may be a franchise player, he's still just exactly that. He's another player on right. an entire roster, and that you know he shouldn't get any special. Uh, you know he shouldn't get any special catering, despite. What uh, considering whatever his talent level is, so it, it's tough. Um, it's definitely a tough situation. Excuse me, um, but man, I, it. So for me, it's kind of it, it's so tough because I, it's a business. At the end of the day, it's a business. Like you said, you're expendable. Even you know the golden boy from New England. You know, he was expendable. We saw that, you know. Um, and so it, it's tough, but, like, a, like you have to treat somebody like that with a silver platter, kind of like whatever they want. Like, Drew Brees, 
live and die New Orleans. He's going to be in New Orleans for life. Yeah. He's pretty much, yeah. you know, so it, it's tough, you know, kind of like similar to the Coach Kaysen. You know, he's Duke. He's golden boy at Duke. He's always going to be Duke. So I, I, I would put Rodgers on that level. You know, he's, you know, he's the golden boy for Green Bay. You know, before him, it was, you know, Brett Favre. And it, it, so it's sad when it comes to the point where, you know, they have to make a decision between pretty much the golden boy, the golden child, the poster of a franchise and a franchise. But like I said at the beginning, it's ultimately money and, and it's a business. And, um, but I don't know. I, it's weird to, to think that, you know, Aaron Rodgers might hold out whatever, whatever. Um, so it, it's just so weird to me. So if, if I was the Green Bay, I'd be like, hey, like, listen, like, we understand you're unhappy. Let's try to work something out, you know. Um, but it, it sounds like Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to be there anymore because of the GM. Um, but ultimately, guess who has the final say? You know, the Packers are organization. You know, they can be like, hey, Aaron, thanks, but no thanks. Cut, cut your losses. You're done, you know. So... It's so tough. I mean, and if I was, I, I was like, hey, like, whatever, let's get through this, you know, let's kind of do what you want to do. But at the end of the day, it's not, I, I don't think it's going to end like that. I think Aaron Rodgers is, is, is done in Green Bay. Do you think he's going to retire, or do you think that uh, eventually, because, I mean, he still, he still has, uh, term left on his contract so and right. with with green bay with with green bay showing resistance to trading him at this point it kind of seems like you know rogers is his only option it seems to be is either play or retire right <sighs> yeah i mean i i think from what i i said i i think he's He's gonna to have to retire. I mean, it sounds like Green Bay isn't gonna budge, and it, like I said, it, it's sad. But you know, and and ultimately, like another thing that you know kind of brings up, you know, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers. Guess what? They, you know, maybe combined, they have another three, four years left. But like again, as sports fans, we kind of just have to sit back and be like, hey. Wow, we probably just seen arguably three of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. You know, you know, yeah. you can make an argument for obviously Tom Brady is Tom Brady. There's no argument. You can make an argument to say Drew Brees is the second greatest quarterback of all time. You can, you know, it's definitely a solid argument. You can make an argument that Aaron Rodgers is a top five quarterback of all time too. So, you know. A, as sports fans, we're just going to have to, like, come to a realization, like, hey, wow, we probably just witnessed three of – so I'll say three of the top 15 quarterbacks of all time play in our generation. You know what I mean? It, so it's crazy. So I'm like, oh. Yeah. So, it, yeah, ultimately I think it's, it's Rodgers walking away. Yeah, and especially considering, uh, I mean, he does have other interests outside of football. I mean, he is in the running to replace Alex Trebek 
you know, as the host of Jeopardy. So, I mean, it's not like if he leaves football, it's not like he's going to – he's not going to have anything on the table. I mean, there's – apparently there's different uh, networks, you know, that are trying to get him under contract potentially, like ESPN, uh, Fox. You know, sort of, sort of like what they what they did with uh, with Drew Brees, and I think it's did he sign with NBC? I think it was uh, for Sunday Night Football coverage. I want to say it was NBC that he that Brees yeah, had signed with. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's not like it's not like Rogers is really hurting. Or anything right. like if he if he decides to retire, he is going to have stuff out there. And honestly, I think it's very possible he may be one of the front runners for the uh, for the Jeopardy job. Right. So yeah, you know he's not he's not going to be you know aching for for any opportunities. Right. Uh, let me see here. Oh, there is one bit of a uh, disturbing news. Um, what am I? Where is? Oh, okay, here it is. I don't know. I don't know why it was. It was trying to hide itself from me for some reason. Uh, Falcons linebacker. I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, Falcons linebacker and actually former Patriot linebacker uh, Barkevius Mingo apparently is facing charges in a child sex offense case it says here now these are allegations that that have been right. that have been made uh mingo uh he did post bond he is uh and he was released uh on his own recognizance uh in this says the charges were filed in Tarrant County Texas and mingo's attorney Denied the, denied the allegations in a statement today, basically saying that uh, these allegations are supposedly from two years ago, and now all of a sudden they're coming up. Um, now, he's a former first-round NFL draft pick, signed a one-year contract with Atlanta after he spent time with the Patriots, the Colts, the Seahawks, Texans, and the Bears. Uh, during his during his NFL tenure, you know it's entirely possible that uh, if these char- if these allegations are true, or I shouldn't say it's entirely possible, it, it, it's likely uh, if these allegations are true. Well, first off, his NFL career is gone, and second off, probably his life is gone. Or you know, life uh, not behind bars, I should say. Right. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, uh, yeah. This is this is a pretty disturbing, uh, a right. pretty disturbing story that has come yeah. up here. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, sad and. Um, but you know, if if it's true, then you know you got to do your time. You know, no matter if you're an athlete or not, you know, 
because if you and I did it, you know, we'd, we'd be behind bars. So I just hope well, that, you know, it isn't true. Right. You know, so it, it's always, like, a tough situation just because, again, like, we, we kind of put athletes on a pedestal when in actuality they just play a sport for entertainment. And <clears throat> so it, it's just sad that we kind of, like, look up to them in a way. Um, so if it's yeah. true, then, you know, it, it's kind of, it, it's like sickening. It kind of just puts like a damper on the mood and it kind of makes, gives you a bad taste in your mouth, you know? <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, the, some additional things, uh, on the statement, uh, he said that his attorney said that, uh, he is the victim of a false claim and we believe this is motivated by money or some other ulterior motive. Uh, and he, he said, we are confident that when the truth does come to light, my client will be fully exonerated. Um, right. It also says here that uh, his bond was only set at uh, at $25,000. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it's it's just weird. It's 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 disturbing, if anything. Yeah, for it this, is for sure. Yeah, this whole thing. Um, let's see. Oh, the uh, for Major League Baseball, uh, the MLB All Star Game has um has uh officially the rosters I should say have officially been made known. Um hang on a second. I gotta I gotta type something out. Um there we go, yeah. The uh the MLB All Star game rosters have officially been revealed and we do have our first ever baseman shortstop duo from the same team ever since uh, the the first time since A-Rod and Derek Jeter both went to the All-Star game as obviously members of the Yankees uh, with Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts representing Boston. Uh, The elected starters for both leagues we have first for the American League, we got Salvador Perez uh, at catcher. You got Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, at first base. And let me tell you, he he takes after his father completely with how with with uh, the power in his bat. Good lord! Uh, <laughs> I still remember when when Vlad Guerrero played for the uh, for the Angels, and he was basically. He was basically Albert Pujols when Albert Pujols was was in St. Louis. Uh, essentially, did you did you see the big news that Team USA just lost to Nigeria? Yeah, I am. I mean, granted, it was a, it was an exhibition game, but Team USA was favored by thirty and a half points. <laughs> Oh man. 
I am completely dumbfounded. I'm trying to find the box score right now um, for that game. So that... I think... Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, team... Uh, does Does Nigeria even have anybody? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I don't... Uh, yeah, I'm looking up their team roster right now, and uh, let's see who they have. A lot of people I've never heard of. I mean, I, I, I can't even. The only thing I can really think of is maybe, maybe Bull Bull would be one of the. Because uh, I think, yeah, I think he was from Nigeria. Um. You know, bowl, bowl, maybe, maybe uh, potentially uh, one of them. But honestly, I can't really, you know, I can't really think of of who they could potentially have. And right. actually, so, yeah, the the only the only box score available is from Team USA's page, and Team USA's page is. Uh, inaccessible right now. Of course. Um, so I, I see a score of 90 to 87. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay. And that's literally that's literally the only box score. Uh, unless, let me check ESPN. Let me see if ESPN has it. I don't think I don't think they do, but um I am completely dumbfounded right now that you know yeah. this is this is a team this is these are players that we're supposed to be sending to compete in in uh in China right I mean granted it it, it is only you know it 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 is only uh exhibition so these games don't really mean anything, but I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah. You know if if you're if you're going to if you're if you're gonna uh, gonna field some of the best players to 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 have played in the NBA this year. I mean, granted, they don't have Chris Paul yet, and they don't have Devin Booker because they are. Uh, Obviously, you know, they're still playing right now, and uh, they don't have Chris Middleton either. Uh, still, though, you know, there's there's no reason why, you know, they, why the the men's basketball team should be should be losing to a team like Nigeria. Right. Uh, hey, let, let, let me bring Lou back on. Lou, I assume I assume you've heard you've heard about the uh, about Team USA being upset by Nigeria. Something like that, yes. Oh, great. I mean, so it looks like it's a repeat of the last Olympics. Seriously, what the hell is this? You know, you have. You have players on this roster. Actually, let me bring up the full roster. You have Bam Adebayo. You got Bradley Beal. You got Devin. Well, Devin Booker isn't there yet. 
uh, and neither is Chris. Right. Well, actually, no, Chris Paul wouldn't be there anyways because he, uh, uh, what's it called? He backed out. But, you know, uh, right. they're missing Drew Holiday and they're missing Chris Middleton because they're still playing in the NBA Finals. You got Devin Booker. Uh, you got Kevin Durant, Jeremy Grant, uh, Draymond Green, Zach Levine, Damian Lillard, Jason Tatum, Kevin Love. And you mean to tell me that you can't win with this group? I don't get that at all. I mean, it just it doesn't know what make missing. any sense. Actually, uh, it's it looks like uh, the game was actually broadcast on Twitch. I think. Cause, I don't receive Twitch though. Yeah, I'm looking right now. It's on Twitch Twitch TV slash USA Basketball, uh, okay. and they have it under the under the uh, the recent broadcasts. Um. And actually, it was on NBC Sports, I think, too. But, you know, I just – I don't get this. This is a team that was favored by – I think it was either 29-and-a-half or 30-and-a-half points. Right. And they weren't able to – they weren't able to pull it out against a Nigeria team that has literally nothing. They have nobody. I mean, Nigeria, like, literally the only people I recognize on Nigeria are Precious Achiua and Josh Okogi. Hmm. Those are literally the only two players that I recognize. And the last yeah. time the last time the U.S. faced Nigeria, they absolutely destroyed, the, uh, destroyed Nigeria, yes. 156 to 73 which was the biggest blowout in Olympic men's basketball history by the United States. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to find the, uh, I'm still trying to find the box score here. And unfortunately the only, the only box score that's available is team USA's and their site is completely crashed right now. Because of all the traffic that's going uh, that's going right. through it, but hey, uh, I got to tell you, congratulations uh, to your Yankees, Lou. Uh, they finally held on to win a cl- to win a close game. Uh, One nothing. Ballsy by yeah, it's it was kind of ballsy to leave Garrett Cole in there despite. Entering the first, uh, uh, despite entering the ninth inning, with like 117 pitches thrown. Yes. Very very ballsy, but they did pull it out one uh, one it nothing. Out. And uh, obviously, to tomorrow, I don't know who they have going tomorrow, but. Um, no, obviously, I, I didn't actually see. Did they win last? Yeah, they won last night four nothing. So, yes. so they've they've had they've held Houston scoreless in this entire series so far. That's kind of surprising. That is surprising. 
Let me see. Who we got tomorrow? Tomorrow you got James and Tyon against Framber Valdez from what it looks like. That should be quite the interesting matchup. Four and four against five and one. But let me see. Yeah, you know they still they still don't have the have the thing up. I don't know why. Um all right, let's talk about the Stanley Cup finals. Because yeah, honestly, you know, this I I said it last I said I said it last week. I didn't think that yes. Montreal had the had the firepower to keep no, up with no, Tampa. And lo and behold, I was right, you know, I think the first game pretty much told the tale of how the whole entire series was going to go. The fact that with the exception of that one eight. little hiccup in game four, yeah, but I mean, let's be honest they I don't even think Tampa was really focused on winning the Stanley Cup in in Montreal. You wouldn't believe that, huh? Yeah, because I mean, you know, especially especially winning it in the bubble last year, they weren't able to win it in front of their own fans. Yeah, but, you know, you just can't decide you're going to throw a game and, like, well, I don't really want to win this, uh, you know, let's wait till we get home. I mean, you can't do that. If you do it, well, no, but I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying, you know, that they, that they would specifically do that, but, you know, it's sort of like well, you don't play – that it's sort of like you don't play with the same urgency, you know, compared you to, to. Compared compared to how you would normally play in a closeout game, uh, compared to how you would normally play in a closeout game. You know, yeah, they weren't. But, but getting, you got, you got, you got to give it your all, no matter what. You, you have to, no matter what you know, no matter what the situation is, you still have to give it everything you've got, whether it's on the road or at home. True. Yeah. You can't be like, ah, uh, well, it's game four. We're not playing at home. Uh, I don't really give a crap. No, you have to. Even the mayor said, "Well, well we think it's best if Montreal wins at, and they're." In their building, so that we can uh, win at home. I mean, what kind of? I mean, that is, that is what I mean, the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. It's like you're trying to. It's like she wants you to throw the game. Yeah, honestly, I just I found it kind of strange though that yeah, you know, Tampa was Tampa was able to handle Montreal for pretty much the first three games of the series. And right. then Montreal Montreal then wins a squeaker in overtime three to two. Yes. And then all of a sudden, you know, you go you go you go in you go into game uh to game five and it's just, it's just like Tampa absolutely stone stones them cold. You know, only yeah. one a one to nothing win. So it's like you know, did Montreal just? It, it was like, did Montreal just run out of gas, or yes, yes, because 
it's it's just kind of weird, you know, that that Tampa dominated all series long, and they were averaging. Actually, let me take a look at the previous. Let's see, eight, eleven. 16. They were averaging four goals a game through four games. And then they only put up one goal for this final game. You know, it just seemed it seemed kind of weird to me. You know, yeah. that uh, may, maybe, it, maybe it is because of you know, Montreal was, was tougher than and people gave them credit for, and they legitimately battled uh, to advance it to a game five. But it just it just kind of seemed that with how Tampa Bay was manhandling Montreal all series long, it just seemed yeah. kind of weird that all of a sudden in game four they they're unable to close it out in game four. And when you kind of think about it, you know, they they weren't able to win in front of their home fans last year because of COVID. You know, they had to play right. in the bubble format. And obviously, you know, it, I, brought, I brought this point up earlier, but, you know, if they were to have played against – if they were to have beaten Montreal in Montreal – they would have only done it in front of like 5,000, you know, 5,000 fans. It wasn't, yes. It wasn't really going to be that big of a crowd. No. Now, now, however, you know, you go back to Tampa and Tampa, they have, uh, I believe they had full capacity or at least close to full capacity. Close to it. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, it's, like, would you rather win the cup away, or would you rather win the cup in front of your own fans? Anyway, you know, I'm not you get saying. It, get it. Well, yeah, exactly. I would, I would think, you know, first chance you get to win the cup, you would do that, right? But it, it just seemed kind of weird that, you know, uh, Vasilevsky mm. was basically was basically stone cold throughout the entire uh, Stanley Cup finals until game four where he magically lets a a squeaker go by in overtime and then that sets up game five in Tampa. I don't know. You know, that's, you know, that's the conspiracy theorist in me, I guess you could say. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it definitely it definitely was a, uh, a dominating season. Well, I shouldn't say dominating because actually Tampa, I believe, was the number three seed. I think they yeah. were the number three seed in their division. So uh, it was a dominating postseason, I should say, for the Lightning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, as soon as soon as it became known that, you know, once the, once the Lightning made the uh, made the playoffs, a lot of people were picking different teams. Uh, but you know, I I still said you can't 
rule out the lightning because as long as they have as long as they're in there they have all yeah. of the talent in the world to to put together a winning team again and that's what they ultimately ended up doing so uh Vasilevsky he did get named the uh Con Smythe winner uh posting yep. a 22 22 save shutout in game 5 uh and actually he has registered a shutout in five straight series clinching wins in the postseason dating back to last year's cup final so it seems that when the when the series is on the line Vasilevsky is the one guy that you want to go to if you're if you're the I would uh, imagine so, yeah. lightning so uh yeah ever since ever since he lost his first start uh in the uh in the Stanley Cup playoffs of this year or wait no of last year actually uh he has posted a 14 and 0 record since Oh wait, no. It says it says fourteen and zero record following a loss. So in games following right. a loss, he's spotless. He's never lost back to back games uh, in the playoffs. And actually, you know, some more news that's coming out. Apparently, Nikita Kucherov played through a fractured rib after yeah, he was absolutely. injured. After he was injured against the uh, the Islanders, or no, no, that's the that's the wait the Stanley Cup semifinals. Yeah, that would be against the Islanders. So he got in, he got injured, and yet somehow I, you know I still don't understand. I, that just shows how tough some athletes are. The fact that they're the fact that they're able to play through these type of injuries. Like uh, like Tuka Rask, for example, you know, of the Boston Bruins, he played with a torn labrum uh, during, I think he, I believe he, he said he suffered it uh, in the first round of the playoffs and uh, against Washington. And yet he played through the entire, through the entire, uh, the entire series with Washington and then he played Wait, through the uh, played he played through the pain against uh, against the Islanders, and yet some of those you know some of those wins where he looked absolutely spectacular, you didn't really see uh, it affect his game until those last couple of games against the Islanders. Wow. So it's you know it's amazing, just exactly. Uh, just exactly how some of these athletes can pay can can uh, play through pain like they do. Yeah. And uh Alex Kalorn, uh the I think he's either he's either the second or the third line center for I think he's the third line center uh for Tampa. He was trying to get back into the uh Stanley Cup final 
he suffered a broken fibula, apparently. Um, He ended up having surgery last week to put in a rod, uh, and he was still hoping to play if the series lasted longer than – you know, longer than five games. If it had gone to a game six or a game seven, he was still trying to potentially get in there and play. I find it hard to believe that you could play with a broken fibula, but apparently he was trying to do so. Apparently you Um, can. You know, it's just, it, it just shows you the, the length that some athletes go to actually uh, to actually try and play when yet you know there's a whole bunch yeah. of people that complain about uh, you know I mean I I kind of was the same way uh, with uh, Jacoby Ellsbury you know mm. the yeah. the last the last little bit of uh, games that he had ever played for the Boston mm. Red Sox before he ended up signing with New York in the off season, uh, you know, he had basically uh, complained about, you know, his ribs being bruised or something. And, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of fans saw it as him basically trying to quit the season early so that he can focus on his own off season. Sounds like it. But, you know, it kind of makes you wonder, you know, maybe perhaps he was potentially playing with bruised ribs uh, during that amount of time that, you know, before he ended up uh, finishing the season on the injured list that year. Right. there was also a uh, tragedy in the NHL this past week as uh, oh, yes. goaltender goaltender Matisse Kivalenix. I think that's how I, I, that's my best way of trying to pronounce. I'm not his name. going there. Uh, he was struck by a firework mortar and died of chest trauma while he yeah. was at the goaltending coach's house of the. Columbus Blue Jackets. He was at the house of his goaltending coach. And uh, I guess it, it was something like he was trying to, uh, originally they said that he died as a result of a head injury that he suffered in a fall while he was trying to, uh, while he was trying to leave a hot tub during a fireworks malfunction. Uh, however, the autopsy did reveal the, tr- the chest trauma. So, it wasn't a head injury. He got hit by one of the fireworks. Yeah. 24 years old. Same. You know, this this dude was literally just starting out his career. And yeah. I'm trying to find the... Uh, the full story here if I possibly can, but it's I mean I was I was absolutely stunned when I first, when I first saw this news. Yeah. Cause especially you know, usually when you don't see I mean his name sounds what, Swedish or Finnish? 
I think. Probably finish. Yeah, you know, you don't see a lot of successful Finnish goaltenders. You know, I know Tuka Rask is one of them. Uh, Tuka Rask is one of them, but, you you know, you don't really see a lot of of big Finnish stars. And... You know, nope. I, I guess maybe it was entire. Maybe it was entirely possible that perhaps he could be. You know, he could be one of those potential uh, potential stars if he was able to develop correctly uh, while playing in the minors. And I believe he had a couple of one in one stints up in uh, up in the majors with yeah. Columbus. Uh, the past couple of years, but he was, I mean, you know, he was mainly a, uh, mainly a depth goaltender as they call him, but you know, it's still, still shocking news uh, that, that he uh, passed away, especially considering the the circumstances that he ended up passing, uh, passing away from. Um now there there is uh one other thing that we you know I had mentioned uh before you came on I mentioned the uh, Barkevius Mingo uh story uh, oh, yeah, that man. he's uh that he's involved in uh allegations surrounding uh potential child abuse uh, and not just regular child abuse. I'm talking sexual abuse. Potentially. Much worse. Um, I mean, obviously, this other story isn't as bad as that, but it's still kind of bad. Um, I assume you've probably heard about the uh, Trevor Bauer uh, situation. Yes, I did. With, uh, with his basically – a woman claims that she met Trevor Bauer on Instagram. Uh, he, she claims that Bauer choked her and hit her so many times during their two meetings earlier this year that she was left with scratches, bruises, and lacerations. And actually, you know, I think I mentioned this last week um, when we talked about when we talked about. I think we talked about this last week. Uh, Bauer did not fight the. Uh, uh, the suspension by Major League Baseball, putting him on uh, administrative leave. And uh, his agents did release a statement saying that he is still refuting uh, his accusers' a- accusations against him. Um, and also, admin- the thing is, administrative leave is neither a disciplinary action nor does it in any way reflect a finding in the league's investigation. Uh, however, he has. It has been announced that he will be away from uh, from the Dodgers for at least another week, uh, as the league extended right. his paid. His, the league extended his paid leave by by seven more days, uh, and apparently he's not fighting it. Um, he's not fighting it, and it says here that. Uh, if a police investigation or an MLB probe into the matter isn't settled by next week, uh, 
the Dodgers and the league could potentially look into putting Trevor Bauer on paid leave indefinitely, according to MLB insider Jeff Passan. So this this could almost be a case. I guess you could kind you could you could kind of compare this to Ray Rice maybe with the situation involving his. Uh, you, you remember from, from years back with uh, Ray Rice assault, uh, assaulting his uh, yes, girlfriend or fiancé in an elevator uh, Yes. at that time. And, you know, he was basically placed on, uh, on the exempt list for basically the entire season. And it seems like this is, it's possible that this may be headed in that same direction because it doesn't seem like there's really been any, you know, any uh, progress comes to uh, moving this case forward. And, you know, this is, this is a big, uh, I mean, selfishly going to uh, going back, going, going uh, to the sport uh, for a second here. He has arguably been the best starter for the Dodgers this year. An eight and five record, a two point five nine ERA. Uh, he hasn't pitched though since June twenty eighth, but you know this is right. a pretty big loss for the Dodgers, considering he has been one of their best pitchers, or maybe their best pitcher uh, this entire year. So it's you know it sucks it sucks that um, it does. But obviously you know this has to this has to get settled. Uh, hopefully you know maybe uh, things get settled and he ends up uh, he ends up coming back at some point this season. Maybe maybe sooner rather than later. Depending yeah, how on how soon though. That's the thing because. I was afraid of that. You know, considering how you got to think that the longer this goes, there's the higher possibility that he'll be put uh, permanently on paid on paid leave. You know, you know, basically being put on it indefinitely, as as they had said. Um. So we do have some injury news. Uh, Yasmani Grandal, uh, he underwent surgery this past Wednesday to repair the a tendon tear that he had in his left knee. Uh, the procedure was performed. Uh... Oh, okay. Wait a minute. Because so, it says he underwent surgery on Wednesday, but yet apparently the statement here says it was performed yesterday. So... I don't understand which. Yeah, neither do I. I don't understand it then. Um, so he was placed on the injured list with the torn tendon, and it, this likely extends the four to six week timeline that the original diagnosis was. Uh, however, it says here that the White Sox do expect him to return uh, before the season ends. From what it looks like here, 
Uh, also, the uh, in what could potentially be crippling, depending on how uh, on how this all pans out uh, for the Braves. Ronald Acuna Jr. He ended up having yeah. to get carted off of the field after suffering a leg injury today, and honestly it looked like it was probably a knee injury as opposed to a leg injury because yeah. he was unable to, he was unable to put any weight on not just the leg but it looked like the knee as well that he well, literally the thing had is to that, get, you know last night he also um was hit by a pitch by a Marlins by a Florida Marlins and i think there's something personal between the between the Marlins and Clinton because you know he was hit seven times by the same team so I think there's some, I think there's something intentional here with this, uh, aside the fact that they're division rivals. There's got to be something more to it. Huh. But was it you know, was it the same location that he was hit? Uh, no. Because it says here that he was uh, that the injury is to his right leg or knee. And there's got to be something. When you're hit seven times by the same team as a player, I think, it's, uh, I think there's something very suspicious about that. Yeah, and it, it, it says here that uh, he suffered the injury while trying to make a jumping catch on a fly ball that was yes. hit by Jazz Chisholm uh, that instead ended up going for an inside-the-park home run. Right. Um. And it says here that he did attempt to walk off the field on his own power. However, midway towards the dugout, uh, he had to stop, and he was visibly in pain as he ended up sitting on the ground. Uh, It looks like it could be a potential season-ending injury, depending on what the diagnosis is here. And this could be crippling for the Braves, considering they are they are four and a half games behind the Mets for first place in the NL East. Mm-hmm. And it, they, I mean, they only have a forty-three and forty-four record, but this could potentially cripple their chances with them losing such Severely. a huge star like Acuna. So you know it's it's definitely a uh, a poten- you know a potential crippling uh, crippling blow uh, yeah. for this Braves team, and, and if, if anything, this this may just lock the Mets in as the winners of the NL East at this point. Yeah. Well, no, I wouldn't say. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's still half a season to go, so um, you know, I. I think, think maybe uh, Philly might have a chance uh, to launch out here. Well, maybe. I mean, Philly did just beat uh, the Boston Red Sox earlier today uh, by a, I think it was 11 to 2 or 11 to 3 score. I think it was 11 to 2. Um, yeah. Let me look at their record, actually. Philly, they're 43 and 44, so. Mm, I mean, they're four and a half games behind 
the Mets. Atlanta, they ended up winning today, I believe. So they're four, they're four games behind. They're at 44 and 44. So maybe there's still a possibility that both Atlanta and Philly are in it, are still in it. But, I mean, the wild card, it looks like the wild card is, is uh, permanently in the, in the National League West, just based off of, uh, I mean, hell, the, the Braves are seven and a half behind the wild card and the uh, Phillies are eight games behind the wild card. So pretty much the NL East is the only opportunity that they have of potentially, right. you know, potentially uh, getting into the playoffs. But, yeah, I definitely do think it is a crippling blow, though, to the Braves uh, to lose Acuna, depending on what it is. But considering the fact that he couldn't put weight on his leg, uh, down on his leg, yeah. I have a feeling it may. I have a feeling it may be a knee as opposed to his actual leg, because the fact that he did make it halfway to the dugout. It doesn't really say. It doesn't really tell me that it's a leg issue. It sounds to me that it's pro- probably his knee blew out as he was trying to. Uh, his knee was probably holding on by a thread, but uh, his knee probably blew out as he was walking to the uh, to the dugout. But we do have um, we do have the MLB draft uh, set to take place starting tomorrow night. Uh, the Yankees yeah. they are ranked uh, they are positioned at pick number twenty, I think, in the first round. Yeah. Uh, the Boston Red Sox the Boston Red Sox they are positioned to pick number four uh, for the first time since I think nineteen sixty six it was. Uh, that they've uh, that yeah. they've picked number four. The closest that they've been since was, I believe, number six when they took Ben Tendi a couple years ago. Mm. And if all indications are correct, it sounds like they may take Jack Leiter with the number four pick, the son oh, of Al's boy, huh? yeah, Al's boy. Uh, and he's considered to be the number two ranked prospect in the entire draft this year. All indications are that it sounds, it sounds like, well, I mean, if we're, I'm taking a look at the prospect board here uh, that MLB MLB has on MLB.com and three of the top four prospects are all shortstops. And they're all high school shortstops. Marcelo Meyer, Jordan Lawler, and Khalil Watson. Uh, now, probably the biggest threat, I should say, because it's, it's, it's very clear that Meyer is probably headed to uh, Pittsburgh with the number one pick. Uh, right. The biggest threat I've heard to potentially take Jack Leiter is the Texas Rangers at number two. Because it seems like the Tigers are going to go shortstop at number three, uh, either that or they might take uh, Henry Davis, the uh, hard-hitting catcher out of Louisville, 
Um, but my understanding is it's either lighter or one of the shortstops to uh, Texas. Uh, if if lighter gets to Boston, my understanding is that Boston will 100% take lighter and that their backup plan is basically Henry Davis. Which is kind of surprising because I would kind of think that considering I, I would think that Boston would prioritize pitching over hitting in this first round. And considering you take a look at who else is on the is on the uh, the top ten list, Kumar Rocker is also down there at number six, which is kind of surprising. I guess I guess he had a. Uh, he must have had a bad uh I didn't pay much attention to Vanderbilt, but I guess he must have had a bad ending to his uh to his college career as he originally was ranked as one of the top prospects in this year's draft and now all of a sudden right. he slid all the way down to number six. While meanwhile Jack Leiter is uh, one of his most dominating performances this year, apart from throwing a no-hitter, was he threw 16 consecutive no-hit innings. I believe it was. Right. So what what do you think, uh, Lou, when it comes to the Yankees? Who? What do you think is, is probably New York's most important need? Uh, heading into this draft, they need to get good pitching, especially you know in the in the middle in the middle innings. That's that's our, our problem. Our problem is our bullpen. Number one, they just don't seem to have it, and they don't seem to have the uh, you know good minor league crop they did back in 2019, where all our players were injured. Uh, they had a high quality uh, minor league system, but it doesn't seem to happen this year. Well, from what I'm looking at here, from what I'm looking at here, there are a couple of pitchers in around the area that the Yankees would be at. Uh, that is, of course, assuming that certain teams don't pick pitching uh, uh, ahead of the Yankees, and maybe maybe they go elsewhere. Uh, but I mean, there are quite a few. Well, I mean. Obviously, the top three pitchers in this draft are Jack Leiter, Kumar Rocker, and Jackson Joby. Uh, but looking around the area towards realistically where uh, pitchers might fall for the Yankees, you do have Anthony Solomato, uh from North Carolina, or he's committed to North Carolina, I should say. He's uh, from Bishop Eustis out of New Jersey. Uh, you do have Andrew State. Painter. You have Andrew Painter, who's from Calvary Christian uh, School in uh, in Florida. He's committed to Flor to uh, to Florida University, the uh, Gators. Uh, you do have Bubba Chandler, who is uh, one of those two way players. He's a right handed pitcher, but he's also a shortstop. Uh, from North from North Oconee uh, High School in Georgia, he's committed to Clemson. Uh, 
And you also have uh, Gunnar Hogland, who is a right-handed pitcher uh, from Mississippi. I think he finished his sophomore year this year. So he would technically be be heading into uh, let, let's see what what did he do? Did he even play this year? Oh, okay, hang on. So originally he was drafted in 2018 by the Pirates right out of high school, but the two sides had differing views of his physical post draft which basically killed any chances that he had of, uh, of signing with the pirates because he originally was, was taken 36th overall. Um, instead he chose to attend Mississippi uh, where he immediately joined the weekend rotation and emerged as one of the best pitchers in the sec in uh, 2020 and 2021. Uh, it says here that he had pitched himself into the top 10 picks of this year's draft until he injured his elbow in May and required, ooh. He did undergo Tommy John surgery, so maybe this might, maybe this might, uh, chase the Yankees away from him perhaps perhaps because I'm not sure you want to do de- I'm not sure you want to deal with damaged goods coming out of college yeah, yeah no I don't think right. I don't think you want to do that um no you know though take taking a look at some of the players in this draft though Jack Leiter, he could potentially hit the majors as early as this year. I think. Sort of like Benintendi, how Benintendi did in his first year uh, when he when he was uh, drafted by Boston. Uh, he ended up he ended up coming uh, coming onto the team in September, I think it was of that year. Yes. But with Jack Leiter, consider from what I've from what I've heard about Leiter and the way he's played, regardless of whoever drafts him, he could fast track right to straight to Major League Baseball. Because it says here uh, his fastball usually goes anywhere from ninety to ninety five, but it tops out at ninety seven. Uh, which plays like an elite pitch because of its riding. Li- oh my lord! Greg Hardy just got knocked the fuck out. Really? Wow. Yeah, he just got dropped by Tai Tuivasa. Oh, and I just got this word in from uh, from one of our listeners, uh, Tim, uh, who's also in uh, in Whispers. He's one of our Whispers mods. Uh, it is a complete tear of the right yeah. ACL for Ronald Acuna Jr. So, like I thought, uh, it, was, it was good night. It was probably the knee. It was probably the knee, and his season is officially over. Oh, 
Yeah, I kind of figured. Right. Uh, I I kind of figured that once he uh, once he uh, wasn't able to to make it back to make it the full way uh, to to the uh, the dugout that it was probably the, the knee probably buckled. But that you know back to uh, back to Jack Leiter here. It says he has a uh, he he does get an exceptional amount of swings and misses in the strike zone with his heater. Uh, he has a twelve to six curveball in the upper seventies that can both land for strikes or get hitters to chase. And his feel for spin also translates into a low eighties slider that some evaluators think has more upside than his curve. Okay. So maybe, you know, maybe, maybe he won't get into the majors right away, but he'll, you know, it's not like he's going to be a project like uh, like somebody coming out of high school. He'll probably be fast tracked to the majors, regardless of of who he uh, uh, of who he ends up getting drafted by. It says here though that uh, he does draw some comparisons to former Vanderbilt star Sonny Gray with a more diverse mm. repertoire at the same stage of their careers. So meaning that he has a more diverse repertoire than Sonny Gray did when Sonny Gray was coming out of college. Has it been, you know, what we thought it was going to be? Well, you remember, you remember the kind of pitcher that Gray was for Oakland. Right. You know, when Oakland was, uh, when, when, when he was Oakland's ace, for a couple of years, so you know, I guess I guess maybe it's possible that with him having more weapons at his art, with with him having more 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 uh, weapons to choose from in his repertoire, that you know maybe perhaps there would be the, maybe perhaps there would you know there would be more to work with uh, for for lighter. However, though, you know, looking at Kumar Rocker, I kind of think maybe Rocker might get, might uh, get to the majors a bit quicker because it says here, even though he uh, – team that I'm looking at his ranking, uh, but it says here he operates at 90 – anywhere from 93 to 96 mile per hour with his heater, but it can – can top out at 99 miles per hour. Though it it did say though that his velocity did sit in the low 90s for three weeks early on this season. Um, his slider is in the mid 80s, from what it looks like, and he does have a low 80s curveball with more vertical break. And as far as his changeup, he doesn't really use his changeup much, so that's not really much of a, you know, much of anything to talk about in his repertoire. Uh, 
it says here that Kumar Rocker has the makings of a frontline starter, uh, but isn't a finished product, and scouts would like to see him dominate more consistently. So, yeah, right. maybe that's – yeah, no, he's probably a work in progress. So maybe Lighter has a better – Lighter probably has the better uh, the better road to the, uh, to the majors. Yeah. Now, I did hear – that apparently uh, Leiter was getting help from both his father and his agent to try and wow. bring him to try and uh, to try and get himself to uh, to Boston. The the main reason being that he wants to play for a team that's going to contend and has a history of contending instead of have instead of being a part of you know this uh, any sort of a re uh, any sort of rebuild you know which kind of makes sense because you know you don't the first couple of years of your career you don't really want to waste uh the first couple of years of your career on no, a team that's not. that's going nowhere so i hell it's it's kind of like Nomar Garcia Para and and the Red Sox, you know, the first couple of years he was with the Red Sox. Yeah, they weren't really going anywhere. So, yes, you could kind of say that those years were wasted uh, for for him in particular. But I do find it kind of interesting that uh, Leiter was using the help of his father uh, to try and. Uh, I guess his father must have a lot of pull around the league uh, to to help him uh, to help him get drawn more towards Boston as opposed to getting picked by say Texas or uh, or Detroit. Right, what what do you think of that, Lou? Do you think that maybe perhaps uh, what we're probably looking at right now is? Uh, Jack Leiter probably falling to number four, even though he's the that second be, ranked uh, prospect. No, I still think he's a, he's a given, yeah, despite the ranking. No, but do you, think, do you think that he'll do you think that he'll fall to number four, or do you think that Texas will take him? Even though it sounds like Texas is leaning towards taking one of the shortstops. Yeah, so I'm going to have to go with Texas. I mean, I would, I would kind, I would, I would be surprised if he fell to number four. I mean, hell, I would take it. I would take him in an instant because the Sox do need pitching. Um, but from what it sounds like, it sounds, it sounds like, uh, basically, you know, the best way that he could potentially decide where he goes is he could always say, you know, if I get drafted by your club, I'm going back to, uh, to Vanderbilt and you guys aren't going to get me to sign. You know, it's entirely possible. He could just do that. So that's, you know, that's a, that's an interesting thing uh, compared to other drafts, like say the NHL, for example, the NHL, you know, players can get drafted 
in the NHL and not necessarily sign uh, and instead, you know, either go back to college or go back to the juniors. Yeah. And yet they would still be under – they would still uh, – the, their team would have the rights to them for at least three years, the first three years uh, after the draft. If you get drafted by a team and you don't sign with them, you go right back to college. And I I just find that kind of weird, you know? Yeah, I do too. Because it's kind of like, say, you know, say the Yankees were, say the Yankees had one of those first picks and they can't come to an agreement with the, with a certain player that they, that they uh, drafted. pretty much a huge waste of of their draft position, you know, because you don't know when you're going to be in that spot ever again. All right. Uh, let's see. One of the, uh, one of the other things that we were, that we talked about last week uh, it is officially confirmed, by the way, uh, earlier this week. Vladimir Tarasenko did request officially to be traded by the St. Louis Blues, according to The Athletic. Uh, he apparently asked to be moved earlier this offseason, and Blues GM Doug Armstrong has been working to make it happen. Uh, there is no timetable for a deal to be completed, but something could happen, it says here, before the start of next season. Uh, he does have a no-trade clause, a full no-trade clause, and two more seasons left on his eight-year $60 million deal. Uh, it's believed that the reason for the trade is he doesn't feel his shoulder issue was handled well by the team. And yeah. also the fact, and also uh, the fact that they decided to give Ryan O'Reilly the captaincy instead of Tarasenko, who had been with the team a lot longer. So I guess you know that kind of makes sense, Lou, doesn't it? You know, I would kind of yeah. feel sort of, I would feel sort of spited if I was. Uh, you know, if I was a player who had been drafted by the Blues or whatever team, and, you know, I had probably been there the longest, and yet I believe Tarasenko was an assistant captain, so, it, you know, he still was some sort of a captain. But to be denied right. the captains, to be denied the captaincy and instead they give it to somebody who was just acquired from one of the worst teams in the league, Buffalo, you know, I would be yeah. I would I would be pretty pissed off too if I was Tarasenko. So would I. And the fact that he feels his shoulder issue wasn't handled well by the team, uh, you know, that's very similar to Kawhi Leonard with the uh, L.A. Clippers, and with him entering free agency this year, it, considering he feels that the Clippers didn't do well with handling his injury and his recovery. 
uh, it's entirely possible that he may end up leaving the Clippers. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, it's an, it's 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 definitely a possibility. Uh, also, it says here Vancouver is uh, reportedly exploring the possibility of trading defenseman Nate Schmidt. Uh, who recorded five goals and 15 points this year uh, with the Canucks. Uh, His average ice time, though, decreased compared to what he was getting with Vegas. Uh, According to sources, though, he has not currently requested a trade, but he would be willing to accept a move uh, from, from the team if it does happen. Uh, some injury news in the NBA. Obviously, the Phoenix Suns, uh, Dario Saric, he's out with a torn ACL, so he's out for pretty much the entire rest of the finals. Um, Tori Craig, uh, he did have a right knee bruise. The good news is there is no structural damage, uh, and the Suns are officially considering him day-to-day. So it does say that uh, – actually, let me check. Is he – wait. Yeah. No, game three is tomorrow. Why does it say – for some yeah. reason, the write-up I'm looking at here said that game three was today. I was like, wait a minute, why is game They're three – if They're game wrong. three was today – I was like, if game three was today, I'd be I'd be watching it right now. Uh, but no, game three is tomorrow. Uh, so I would probably consider him to be doubtful, possibly, for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. If not, maybe a game time decision. Uh, and that, you know, he is, uh, I mentioned earlier when I was talking with Kyle, uh, he is key to their, uh, to their, bench considering he is probably one of their better bench players for the Phoenix Suns Um, and with him potentially missing time that will probably mean that Frank Kaminsky uh, will be reinserted into uh, more small ball lineups possibly Um, also some injury news and this is this could be a gigantic uh, backfire on the Miami Heat after they acquired uh, Victor yeah. Oladipo at the trade deadline this year. It says that uh, yeah. according to the Miami Herald, according to the Miami Herald, the earliest time he may be able to come back to to, to playing is mid December. So he's already going to be missing around two months of action combined with the the time he's going to be off uh with the uh during the summer I mean my god you know talk about talk about the stuff they had, the the guys they had to give up in order to get them you know they got rid of Kelly Olynyk uh they had to get I believe I they included Kelly Avery Olenek, Bradley really? Well, Olenek was uh, Olenek was a pretty a pretty good piece off of their bench for the mm-hmm. Miami Heat. So they gave the Rockets Kelly Olenek, 
and I believe they also gave him Avery Bradley as well. Uh, you know, it's kind of kind of make, kind of makes you wonder. You know, they could have potentially Miami could potentially have used uh, you know players like Olinick in their in their uh, playoff appearance this uh, this uh, this postseason instead of having a guy who apparently can't stay uh, healthy. Yeah. Apparently uh, and also, speaking of playoff success, uh, Nate McMillan has been officially announced as the permanent head coach for the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, supposedly, it is a four-year yeah. deal. Uh, for McMillan after leading the Hawks to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I guess, uh, you know, I guess, I guess you, could, you could say this was definitely, uh, you know, this is definitely a good move for the Hawks because, I mean, let's face it, if they still had Lloyd Pierce, they probably weren't going anywhere as a team. Uh, elsewhere, Pacific head coach uh, Damon Stoudemire will reportedly accept an offer to join Ime Udoka's staff in Boston as an assistant coach. Uh, Stoudemire had been at the helm of Pacific for five years and compiled a 71-77 and 77 record uh, in the West Coast Conference against the likes of Gonzaga, uh, St. Mary's and BYU. He did also play 13 years in the NBA for the Raptors, the Blazers, the Grizzlies, and the Spurs before he retired in 2008 to pursue, to pursue a career in coaching. Uh, let's see here. Oh, uh, we do have an update actually for the, you know, and this is kind of surprising that they're they're going to continue with stuff uh, regarding the Olympics. Um, the Tokyo Olympics will officially be held without uh, without spectators Bam. due to COVID protocols. Well, Steve, you know I'm not surprised by that at all. I mean, considering you know their low vaccination rate and whatnot, uh, which could be a could be a serious threat. I'm not surprised at all that they decided to change their minds about that. I'm going to limited fans, no fans at all. I mean, heck, we had to deal with it, you know, uh, this past year, too, you know, when they started um, allowing uh, games to be played and uh, fans were not allowed until such a certain time. So it doesn't really surprise me at all that this uh, happened. Well, what I'm saying, what, I, what, what I'm saying though, is that, uh, you know, with Japan undergoing a state of emergency uh, due to COVID-19, you know, it kind of make it kind of makes you wonder if the Olympics are still even going to go as scheduled. Oh, I said the fact you that you know, considering the fact, I mean, yeah, their their latest thing is to is to ban all spectators, uh, but with Japan supposedly undergoing a uh, you know going through a new wave of the coronavirus. You know, the the Olympics are currently scheduled to run from July 22nd to August 8th, with the state of emergency running from July 12th to August 22nd. 
so you know the the closer we get to the Olympics, I wouldn't be surprised if if COVID continues to rise over in Japan. I mean, granted, they've oh, already you know, they've already put through they've already put a lot of work into this uh, you know into the Olympics this year. You know, is it entirely possible that maybe perhaps we could get, uh, you know, we could get postponement or not postponements, but uh, the Olympics could potentially get all around canceled this year, even after going through all this, uh, all this preparation that they've had to do. All the preparation, you want to stop a two for the Olympics? No, no. We need and, to, you know, it's not to, just the teams. It, it wouldn't be just the teams. It would be, you know, it would be all sports. Right, I know. But through all the preparation they went through and everything, and, you know, we need this now more than ever, you know, for the world to come together. So I would I would say no, don't even, don't even try it. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I just, I think at this point, you know, there's, they're too they're too far down the timeline to where it wouldn't make sense for them to all of a sudden cancel the Olympics. Not all uh, when you know, even though there's a rise in COVID amounts, I mean I it it makes sense for them to ban spectators considering the fact that uh, you know, they would be in such close proximity with each other. Yeah. But I mean, then again, though, you know, they have different, uh, they have different, uh, what, what's the, uh, there's a, it's a different culture over there in Japan. You know, they handle things yeah, a lot yeah. differently. Uh, so still though, you know, you know, they were expecting that this would draw in, you know, a lot of money for, uh, right. For the country. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder how that's going to affect them then because, uh, you know, they're not going to have people from from different countries coming in and, you know, spending the money now because right. all spectators have been banned from attending the Olympics. So, you know, I assume that Japan is basically under lockdown to, right know, now. I wonder if this is going to play out with, you know, um, with the people, you know, uh, watching, you know, because, like, um, now the fans won't be allowed to attend. I wonder how this will play out, though, uh, when the Olympics do start. Probably going to be, uh, like, for example, with basketball, it'll probably be in empty arenas. I don't think they'll do yeah. I don't. I don't think they'll do what they did in the NBA, where they had, uh, uh, you know, where they set up LED boards and they had uh, people, you yes. know, on. They had people on. Uh, well, on, I like, wonder what the reaction is gonna be like. I wonder what the reaction is gonna be like. You know, because well, like think back to when we couldn't have fans in our playing our games because um, over last. Um, fall and winter when COVID was getting a second wave here. 
So we had the same effect. That's true. But did they stop our games? No. No, they did not. They postponed for a while, but they still went on. But I wonder how much uh, interest they're going to lose in this, you know, because this is only once every four years. And, uh, you know, I look, I look forward to it. So what kind of reaction is going to be, you know, the people watching at home? Well, I just I think they won't get the same revenue that they would have got. Obviously, they're not no, going to get the same revenue not. that they would have gotten uh, with fans attending the Olympics. Um, you know, and plus with the country probably under lockdown, with the exception of, um, you know, the athletes coming in. Otherwise, you know, businesses, the local businesses around uh, around Tokyo, you know, they're probably not going to get the uh, the extended services, you know, that they probably would that they probably would have to give to uh, to tourists that would be that would be coming in because it would probably be people from all from all around, you know, there would be Canadians, Americans. Uh, French people, Italians, so on and so forth, to cheer on their country. Yeah. You know, now that's now that's likely not going to happen with them banning spectators. Uh, so, I would assume, you know, with, with Japan, I think it's a different story because with Japan, you know, their their culture, they they're basically raised to behave in a certain manner. You know, like for example, profe- when 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 they when they watch professional wrestling, they're very respectful out there in Japan. They are silent during uh during the match because otherwise they would consider it any sort of noise. Uh and this goes for MMA as well, uh with the exception of a couple of, a couple of uh soccer chants. Uh you know, they feel like if you make any sort of noise during any sort of event, it's considered disrespectful to the uh, to the athletes. Right. So, you know, as far as I, I, I'll tell you this much, I don't think we're going to see the same reaction in Japan that we saw in the United States. You know, where. Mm-hmm. Uh, with how we handled COVID, you know, the fact that it drove basically everybody absolutely insane to where there were uh, people people complaining about wearing masks and all this shit. Uh, people are still doing it, by the way, still complaining about wearing masks. Uh, yes. Even though, you know, nearly more than half the country is at least 60 to 70 percent vaccinated. Uh, yeah, and they you know, don't have many here. Yeah, we don't we don't have the mask mandate here either. Uh, we ended ours in okay. I want to say mid June, I think it was that we ended ours. Uh, but you know, we've definitely but we're lucky though because. You know the Northeast. They know we know how. Uh, you know that if if they te- if they tell us that we need to get the vaccine, 
you know, we're we're not idiots. We're we're not one of those one of those people that think, you know, oh, they're they're trying to implant uh, chips into our body by, uh, you know, they're trying to implant implant trackers into our body, you know, by injecting yeah. them uh, into into the COVID vaccine. You wouldn't believe, Lou, some of the conspiracy theories that have been floated oh, out there with the, with this COVID vaccine. Uh, but you, you know, we're not we're not those type of uh, those type of people, and that's why you see, especially uh, in the Northeast, you know, we we are at least seventy, maybe eighty percent vaccinated in a lot of our states. Right. And, you know, when it, com- when it comes to over in Japan, I-, I don't really think it's really much of a big deal over there when it comes to actually having to wear masks. You know, the thing is, obviously, with the United States, the United States, we have a whole lot of uh, throughout throughout our history. We had a whole lot of freedoms, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, uh, being able to do whatever we want to do, basically, uh, within legal limits. Mm-hmm. And apparently, you know, wearing masks was such a bad thing for people that uh, all of a sudden people started losing their minds, uh, saying that, you know, we were being turned into uh, a country where we have to do what our superior overlords say or there will be consequences. Uh, no, we're wearing masks because we don't want to catch the virus and potentially die, plain common sense. So with, with Japan, you know, I, know I, really, I don't think that there's going to be really much of a, much of a problem, you know, with, uh, with sports because, I mean, let's face it, most, most people – uh, in Japan, you know they they do watch a lot of it on TV, anyways. Yes. So, so, I mean, hell, it took them forever just to get a soccer team to begin with, to get a uh, a credible uh, soccer team. You know, so mm-hmm. I think compared to the sports that we see, the the crowds that we see in the United States. I mean, yeah, you know, Japan, they get pretty big crowds for like wrestling and stuff like that. But at the same time, they're not going to, I don't, I don't see them as the type of people that are going to lose their shit if they can't, uh, you know, if they can't attend sporting events again, like the United States probably would. If, if say, if say the United States had a uh, COVID setback and, like I've heard, for example, that apparently uh, the COVID vaccines are supposedly failing after six six months after uh, after having them. Supposedly, mm. um, you know, it's it remains a possibility. Maybe there might be another wave of the coronavirus, like the Delta wave, the Delta variant that they're talking about. Uh, maybe there's another gigantic wave where we see, God knows how many more million cases pop up again, and we end up having to shut things down again. 
you know, the United States, obviously, everybody will probably lose their shit. But in Japan, I mean, yeah, you know, the Olympics is is a once in a, you know, you don't, the Olympics is once every four years, and it's not often that uh, a country gets to have the Olympics in consecutive chances. So, you know, when it comes to Japan, just just by looking at their lifestyle, I don't really I don't really see there being an issue, you know, with uh, with people not being able to attend. Yeah. And it, I would I I would I would be really surprised if we hear, uh, you know, stuff about backlash coming from this decision. I'd be really surprised, but yeah, you know that's just that's just based off of how people basically uh, basically live in Japan to begin with. So, but I, you know what, Team you to their uh, site, and their site is still down right now. That that loss to Nigeria must have really, uh, must have really uh, shut down everything because they must have. Yeah, but <laughs> there's no getting into uh, no getting into that side at all. Um, uh, some NFL news: uh, Larry Fitzgerald apparently is still undecided as to whether or not he will retire or return for another NFL season. Uh, He he told ESPN's Rachel Nichols that uh, he hasn't decided anything. Training camp starts in a few weeks. He's excited. It's going to be another great year for the NFL. However, you know, he still hasn't said anything and, uh, Cardinals general manager Steve Keim hasn't ruled out bringing him back, but an Arizona return is unlikely after A.J. Green signed with them this offseason. It does say here, though, that he should have interest from teams if he does return for another season, which I would think he probably would. Considering, you know, we've all, I think the fact that he hasn't, Announced his retirement yet? That pro- it probably just tells me that he's waiting for an offer, and he's waiting. Much. He's probably waiting to see. He's probably waiting to see what the Cardinals are going to do first. Okay, how much? Because I, I, I don't know, but mm-hmm. I truly think uh, I truly think that he probably wants to retire a Cardinal. And he, you know, he wants to see if the car, if the Cardinals would do something first, if they're going to actually offer him anything, or if they're going to officially move on from him. But uh, also, it says uh, Saquon Barkley. Uh, has said that he does not have a timetable for his return. Uh, it's, 
he declined to say he did miss OTAs, by the way. Uh, he declined to say if he will open training camp on the physically unable to perform list or if he'll be ready by week one. Um, I mean, they did sign Devontae Booker and Corey Clement this offseason, and they are not, the Giants aren't committed to rushing Barkley back. So it kind of sounds like Barkley may potentially start the season on the physically unable to perform list this year. after he tore his knee like he did to, uh, to miss all of last year. Well, not all of it, but most of it, I should say. Uh, let's see. What else do I have? Jesus, Shohei Otani, 30 three homers now. Give me the money. I mean, my God, you know, I don't think there has been this dominant of a Japanese hitter since Hideki Matsui. Exactly. I mean, I can't really, I can't really think of, uh, then again, though, did Matsui ever, I thought he was, wasn't he more of a, uh, um, of a 20 home run hitter as opposed to 30? Yes. I don't think, I don't think he ever reached the 30, uh, the 30 no, mark. I so I could, I could be wrong though. Yeah, I could, I could be wrong though, but if, I mean, if that's the case, you know, Shohei Otani, he could potentially be, uh, or actually, no, he did reach the 30 home run mark. He did it only once, though. He did it in his second year uh, with the Yankees in 2004, yeah. where he uh, he had 31 homers and 108 runs batted in. But uh, anyways, we're we're about to close out the uh, the show for tonight, Lou. Um, I got a uh, a few announcements. Um, for the for the uh, the Missy A podcast, uh, first off, uh, obviously Sports Whispers Weekly. We will be back next Saturday night for another edition of Sports Whispers Weekly. Uh, Friday night we will have another edition of the Big Brother Recap Podcast, uh, hosted mm-hmm. by Melissa and myself. Uh, for those of you that may have missed. Uh, last night's episode, you can catch it on the archives by going to blogtalkradio.com slash missyae or by searching Missy AE on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Um, and as, J- as Jim mentioned as well, uh, there will be no Survivor podcasts until uh the next Survivor season, which will be probably sometime right. in September or something like that. Uh, uh, so. I got I got a quick prediction for you. Uh, I don't know if you follow okay. following the Euro Cup, but uh, if you had a big prediction, who would you take tomorrow? England or Italy? 
you know, it's it, it really sounds like a lot of the momentum is going towards England. So I would probably yeah. say England. From what yeah, I from, okay, from, I won't hold it against from, you, but I'm going for Italy. You know, from everything from everything I've read, it, it sounds yeah. like it's England's year. I'm afraid you're right. Okay, on that note, I'll say good night. Now I'll be back next week. All right. Thank you for joining me, Lou. Uh, thank you to Kyle as well for joining me tonight. Uh, everybody have a good rest of your weekend, and uh, we will see you next Saturday for another edition of Sports Whispers Weekly.